You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since All right, everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. It is good to be back. We have been away for some time. Uh, what started as a simple hiatus and a recovery from an illness turned into uh, really the longest time we've ever been away, I'd say, right? Yeah, I would say it has. And you and I were talking off the air about the last time we recorded, the two of us was back in May. So <laughs> yeah. at that time... Uh, the Cubs weren't World Series champs. Yeah. yeah. Trump wasn't the president. Uh, yeah. Uh, Christmas was a mere kind of pleasant <laughs> notion that was far into the future. Um, yeah. And then here we are. It's like, what? It's eight months. Eight months, man. Eight months. Yes. I know. It's crazy. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. And it just, you know, it's the way it goes. Again, I want to make sure I thank Todd for stepping in as much as he has oh. and He'd be here this morning if he could. He's uh, his schedule is kind of busy and just no way around it right now for him. But uh, he'll be back. Todd's not. Uh, he's not gone. He's just. Uh, he's busy right now. He'll be back. He um, he had a date with an elder. No, I wouldn't. I don't want to say elderly, but uh, an older <laughs> socialite. Oh, nice. He provides companion companionship to affluent women in the Pennsylvania area. <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes those dates run longer than anticipated. So, you know, uh, he's a man in demand. It's not on, not just on the podcast scene, but in the bedroom scene. <laughs> yeah. uh, cheetah print uh, speedos aren't going to pay for themselves. That's true. That's true. Silk with the little pad in the back. <laughs> yeah. Just in, just in case of leakage. Anyway, the... Um, the the show is back, and I just want to give everybody kind of an update. Some people, some of you, are very nice and sending uh, "get well soon" uh, messages, things like that for me. Um, I didn't really share everything that went down in the last month, uh, but it was part of the process. It wasn't the total reason the show went away for a little while? Timing and, and scheduling was bad too. But um, uh, obviously, my voice is back. Um, I did lose it. There was a moment where <laughs> they told me that I might not ever get it back, which uh, 
would have meant I would have been talking like a typical Hollywood mobster, which we joked about off the air before. I go, and I thought, man, I can't podcast like that. I've changed the name of the show to, you know, uh, fucking cinema and cannoli or something, you know, um, just to be uh, <laughs> completely stereotypical. But uh, luckily, they were able to to get everything out of my voice box, and I was able to keep my voice. And uh, thankfully, that, that that's that, and I was able to get past the illness I had. Then my daughter got ill. Uh, some things happened there that I won't go into on the show, but. They were scary things, and everything's okay. Um, those closest to me know, so it's it's, it's nothing uh, nothing super major. But anything that happens to your kids is always major, especially at the time it's happening. <laughs> it's the most major thing, and then like you'll you'll drop everything, um, literally, um, to uh, make sure that doesn't happen again. So, um, but everything's good. Everything's good, and uh, just you know, no time. Other than outside of not having any time, which. There's worse. There's worse fates. I'm busy all the time with two rascals, just like Will is beating me up, wrestling me, wiping spit on me, snot on me. I mean, life is good. I would. Never, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't trade it for the world. No. <laughs> uh, sounds crazy, but anybody with kids, I'm sure they share that sentiment. Um. Other than that, we you know we're gonna get back into it here. We got some uh, you know kind of jokingly called Toys for Tots episodes we're gonna do this year. We got a lot of good plans this year. We got a lot of Episodes we plan on getting out this year. Hopefully the scheduling will work out. This worked out this morning. Uh, so I'm hoping everything will work out. Again, that's another reason why Todd's there, just in case one of us fall through. But Todd, you know, obviously is always going to be there for us, because he always yep. has been. Uh, there'll be more Arrow coverage. Uh, there'll be more Diabolic coverage. There'll be more of everything. This is going to be a good year, I think, for the GGTMC. And uh, with that, I mean, I, I didn't really watch anything this week. Uh, I should say, those for those who just stumble upon this show, though, after us being away a month, maybe thinking, oh, well, maybe they changed things. Well, we didn't. We're still the same format, still the same thing, um, still the same two guys, Sammy, me, and Large William, you. <laughs> and um, uh, we're still going to review movies the same way. So this week we're doing... Uh, uh, who who did the you you want to say what we're doing because that way you can do the picks because I can't remember I know who picked Cockfighter but I can't remember who picked Dead Man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we so Toys for Toss for those that don't know is probably just well it is just what it sounds. So we've had listeners around the world that we said hey if you want to pick a film for the show you know some people have often said I'd love to hear you cover this or that. We said okay go buy a toy, uh, donate it to a, you know local. Uh, you know, child in need through uh, an agency that does that. Send us a picture of the toy and the receipt, and you're in. And these have taken a little bit longer, as things tend to do on the show. But these um, these were programmed by 1974's Cockfighter. It was programmed by T. Hallman, a Helm film, of course. Uh, chosen by a good friend of the show, Brian D., nice. a longtime member of the community. Yeah. And... Uh, of course, Dead Man, which might be this uh, programmer's favorite film, a long, long, long time friend of the show, a fine gent. Uh, he's even helped me out with one of my children's school projects by being interviewed from all the way from Finland, our good friend Auntie. So nice. Um, yeah, and it, it kind of worked out to be a kind of a cool southern kind of western left field uh, look at um, time and place uh, in America. Yeah, yeah. So it's cool. interesting to revisit uh, both of these. I haven't seen both of these in a long time. Back when we started the show, I think I'd 
rewatched uh, Cockfighter a little bit before we started doing the podcast, but uh, Dead Man I hadn't seen since it came out, so it was interesting to go back and see it. It's you know it's funny when you think about movies now. You know the movies from the early '90s are you know 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of blows my mind sometimes. <laughs> it does. I'm starting to think that you know we're, we're movies from the '90s are in classic territory, 20 and 25 years old. It's uh, well, your kids nowadays, like high schoolers, <laughs> think that's old. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they they, they think, oh man, that's an old, it's an old mm-hmm. movie, man. Gross, <laughs> so disgusting. I don't think that's the way kids talk nowadays. But anyway, <laughs> sounds like the way they talked maybe when I was a kid. <laughs> All right. Um, so, do you wish? I mean, do you want to talk about anything you've watched or anything? Yeah, else? I'll do it. I'll okay. skim through a couple of things. Okay, it's been seventeen years, so there's a few <laughs> things in there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my kids are getting older. My kids are eight and six, and if you've been listening long enough, you know you've kind of heard them on, on the show through the show. You've heard both Sammy and I talk about our kids growing up and some of the things they fixated on. Um, I think the last time I had recorded, I think Gremlins and Godzilla were. With the soup du jour um, for my kids. Yeah, because we, we last recorded anything uh, beginning of December. So since then, a couple of things we've watched either, you know, with them or on my own. We watched The Monster Squad, which was when I was kind of waiting to drop on them. Just because I remember, I mean, it's great. But as we've often talked about, too, is is programming stuff for our kids. We're not letting them watch like Death Wish and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh yeah. You know, it just you know, drop it at the right time. So we watched Monster Squad. My kids loved it. Nice, um, nice. We've often said, man, like Fred Decker really should have made more films. He he he's, he bats a thousand, I think, for most of us. And yeah, I yeah, was, it's a sad story, really. It is, it is. And Decker, you know, Monster Squad was always my Goonies, um, being it like a horror kid, so. Yeah, it holds up pretty well, man. It's fun. It's under 90 minutes. You know, it works. It works very well, obviously. Um, a couple, you know, the kid's been over with all the lines. Wolfman's got nards. And again, we had to talk about what a virgin was, which, as I've said, I think we mentioned it last time. My kids think is when you kiss someone naked. So uh, I, you know, said, is she a virgin in the movie? And I said, yeah, I guess she's, she, she kissed someone naked. She lied when she said she was a virgin. Yeah. So, um, well, I have to agree well, with Todd. You know, he's not—they're not too far off. I mean, you know, you, no. you start kissing it's, naked, the things are inevitable. Then it becomes just a tip, baby. And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We know how that ends up. Yeah. Or that back rub proposition. We know how that ends up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, I, speaking of back rub propositions, um, <laughs> I put the kids to bed, and I decided to watch Cronenberg's Crash. Which, uh, talking about stuff from 20 plus years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hadn't watched it since VHS. Uh, fascinating film. Cronenberg's mm-hmm. such an interesting filmmaker. There's a lot going on with this film above and beyond to the surface kind of um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. Uh, Elias Kateas, one of the more underrated actors, I think, uh, in recent years. It tend to be used a lot with Cronenberg and Adam Agoyan and... And whatnot, but uh, yeah, it's a great film. Some really great turns in it. Uh, the score, which I can't remember who it was now, was it? Um, I don't have the time to go through it, but um, Glass, I don't know who it was, but anyway, I'm not going to look it up because that takes more time than we have. But uh, tremendous, tremendous. Um, oh, sorry, I needed to update my office. I, I don't know if you even heard that. Did you hear that? 
Okay. A little chime on the uh, computer there. Chimes at midnight. Yeah. I remember thinking about that when we did this, uh, coming back to the show. I remember thinking, uh, I need to find a way where I can fix it where Will can hear what's on my computer so that way I can play stuff live and stuff again. But I'm not even going to mess with that this morning because we've already had some some games played by the by technology this morning. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh rewatched The Stepfather just kind of on a whim. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it's fun. I, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it was fun enough. Uh, it's crazy to see. Um, you know, that movie made in the 70s would have been much more perverted, right? Oh, God. Would it have ever? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it I mean, feels not, very, not, very, very Not that much. it's not perverted. It's just it would have been much more... A, a, a different type it's of actually perverted. sleazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There, there totally would have been incestual stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it was weird to see Terry O'Quinn, man. Uh, I'm used to him as Locke now from Lost, right? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, that was one of his big, uh, big roles, really. So, yeah, it was good. We rewatched Gremlins. The kids flipped for it, obviously. Christmas at Peavy's Playhouse. I, I'll tell you, I tried to start watching for the first time in its entirety the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> man, what a piece of shit that is! It's terrible, man. Yeah. Like even Willie, like, it was—it's so bad. Like <laughs> when they're on the uh, <laughs> the fucking Wookie planet with like Granddad Wookie. I mean, it's terrible. What was he thinking with that? I mean, no wonder he wanted to bury. Like I'd seen snippets here and there, and <laughs> yeah. man, it's bad. Yeah, I don't—I don't know what oh. he was thinking. Fuck. Um. You could see glimpses, though, of what, what would become the, the newer trilogy films there. Well, I, you know, it's funny you say that because watching it, I saw a lot of bad decisions that <laughs> seemed to carry on, like you said, into the newer Star Wars films. Yeah, I yeah. totally saw that. I thought, and no one went, clearly no one was telling him no, even at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that guy got a lot of power, man. And, man. Uh... <laughs> you got to have a filter, man. You got to have a filter. Um, watched Sing. With the kids. I was kind of reluctant to want to see this, but as we've often said, it's not really about what I want anymore. So, sure. Um, Sing, it was better than I thought it would be. Uh, nice. It's fun. There's a lot of popular kind of pop hits over the years, you know, Queen, whether it's Queen or uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember some of them was now, but it works quite well. Um, yeah, I would say it's a notch below Zootopia in terms of creating a world full of animals and fully realized and stuff but it, it's still fun it's got a great message and it did leave it with a smile on its face so you could do a lot worse watching with your kids and sing uh right after christmas we were still kind of like you know showered in wrapping paper and boxes and cardboard and everything else my wife wanted to watch sully which i really wasn't i don't know i just i didn't want to watch can, it well i can tell you right now i don't even want to i don't want to watch it so. no it just it didn't it didn't look like anything i wanted to watch i mean i yeah. respect what the real sully did clearly but no oh, yeah yeah i gotta say i was very pleasantly surprised that's good that's good i thought it was uh you know at this point eastwood's been kind of you know he's he's played it safe and he's not quite the filmmaker he once was and hanks is someone i've always been um you know i thought he seemed like a decent human being but didn't light my fire to, to see him and stuff but this this is a good film uh it uh, might 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 creak its way into the back end of the top thirty if I don't get a ton of watches in. Oh, nice, so, nice, nice. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. Aaron Eckhart gives incredible mustache in the film. Yeah, yeah, I have seen the stills of Aaron Eckhart's mustache, which should tell you how I think as a movie fan. Uh, his mustache alone, and not not only that, but even uh, Tom Hanks's little uh, white mustache. Yeah. Those mustaches alone have made me think twice about wanting to see it. <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. I know. That's what kind of carried me through a little bit was Eckhart's mustache. It's 
Not that, to say the film's bad, but yeah. that was you know. Eckhart, was, was, Eckhart has a he 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 grows great facial hair. I he mean, does, and he's got the cleft chin. Like he's, it's so strange to me as we've said on the show before that Eckhart wasn't a bigger star because when it's all done, if we're still podcasting in twenty five thirty years, and we're talking all these new jacks. We mentioned Aaron Eckhart's name. There's going to be a lot of interesting performances in his sure. body of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's it's a good one. He stays interesting, uh, especially I Frankenstein. Remember we talked I was about, about this, <laughs> especially when he's got abs as Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> Still makes me laugh to this day. That ab roller in the lab, man. <laughs> yeah. Unreal. That guy was one of the, that was a classic uh, Sammy line. Amazing. <laughs> I look forward to one day going back. You know, as as a as a middle aged man with kids and no time. I think to myself, I'm going to have a lot of time at the back end of my life, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to going back and, and, and watching some of these movies I've dreaded ever seeing. I know uh, that sounds like a crazy thing, but there's some part of me that li- likes the idea of being a 70-year-old man watching I Frankenstein. <laughs> I know. Because at that point, you don't care. And yeah. This one, this one, I, you know, I just one got time. I just want, you know, if I had time, I'd watch any fucking thing. You remember how it was when we had time. Uh, Fuck, we'd watch anything, right? No, don't care cool. how fucking... Uh, how much of a travesty it looked on the surface, but like, fuck it, I'm watching it. It's, you know, it's a new film from so-and-so. I don't give a fuck. I'm watching it. <laughs> I'm going to roll. Yeah, no, that's true, man. Uh, watch Vagabond, which was the first one I watched on Filmstruck. Decided I wanted to roll with Filmstruck, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a subscriber to Filmstruck, too. Yeah. Great. I really like what they've done. I think they've done a wonderful job curating mm-hmm. the way they program things. It is, and no disrespect to Hulu, but they kind of, I mean, they, they did this to a much lesser degree, I feel like. Um, mm-hmm. But the way they curate and, and sort of promote certain films or, or overriding kind of themes within sort of the Criterion and Art House realm uh, is really something else. So yeah. I'm glad to see. Hopefully they'll get out on more mediums because one of the big things was them only being on, you know, PCs and this. And then they roll out into like... Uh, uh, Kindle and a Kindle, um, Roku and all this other stuff. So yeah, they rolled out. It was weird. They rolled out on iPhone, but they didn't roll out on I, App, Apple TV for about another month. Mm-hmm. It was weird. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, I, I get it, guys, but I mean, I want to. I'd rather watch these films on my TV. <laughs> that was the problem. I watched this on my computer. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I mean, but, a lot, a lot of things nowadays. You know, like with my phone, I I, I couldn't complain because I could just you know a lot of TVs nowadays have wireless video, so I could just sync it up to my phone and. But it just seemed like so so much of an extra touch, right? So, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. I watched the Les, Les Samurai, uh, the show I was supposed to be on. I watched that off on Filmstruck, and it looked great. Oh yeah, no, there's a lot of cool stuff in there that you forget Criterion owns or you never knew they owned, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's very cool. Uh, but Vagabond was tremendous. Agnes Varda, who's a filmmaker I really admire. I haven't seen enough of her work. I've seen maybe a handful, maybe at that. Uh, 1985 film, really good, really kind of haunting stuff. I, I've really, you know, I really want to get into more film this year, maybe through the eyes of some of the strong female voices in film. Like I, my wife had taped, um, there was like a Vice Guide to Film episode on Jane Campion, and I've I've never seen a, I don't think I've ever seen a single Jane Campion film, including The Piano. Oh, and yeah. it was a really fascinating look at her body of work, and just hearing people talk. It reminded me a lot of uh, Catherine Briey and uh, just very uncompromising and kind of powerful stuff um, through the eyes of, uh, you know, distinct female or the eyes the, through with via a distinct female voice. So nice. We'll have to see. Uh, watch Passengers at the theater with my kids and my in-laws because mm-hmm. it's a PG rated film. 
Uh, it seemed like it wasn't going to appeal to my kids. Um, but, you know, they, they're seasoned vets at this point. And we all went out for dinner one night. I was sick. And uh, my in-laws said, oh, let's go see Passengers. And I said, oh, but I don't even have babysitters. And then we all kind of looked at each other and said, well, hang on. What's the film rated? So we saw it was PG. We took the kids. They quite liked it. Um, it's a good-looking film. Uh, it's perfectly fine. But it's like a wafer cookie. Like, it, it, it's moderately satisfying in the moment, but you're not going to really yearn for it. Yeah. You looks, know, yeah, it looks pretty. Yeah, you know, but it's not asked to do much. But it was cool to see Lawrence Fishburne and tell my kids, "Hey, there's Cowboy Curtis." <laughs> you know, that's kind of cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, instead of the cram, I watched Nocturnal Animals, which I'd be curious to see what you thought. Yeah, I'm hoping to get to that. I got a, I got a list. Obviously, I don't know if I'll get to all of it, but I, I you know, it's on my list. Oh yeah, uh, Little Men as well, which is an interesting smaller film. Tickled, which is a bizarre documentary. I think Little Men popped up on uh, Netflix, actually. It's good. It's good. Um, I don't know if it's top 30, but it, it's good. Uh, tickled. Uh, watched an Italian one, Perfect Strangers, which solid sort of domestic kind of dramedy from Italy about these three or four couples are all at a dinner party and they decide they're going to put their phones in the middle of the table, basically. And whoever texts, emails, calls, they're going to do it publicly in front of everyone. Mm. Man, some people got some some skeletons in their closet, and hugged. one of the husbands says these phones are like our personal black boxes. <laughs> and uh, it, it's interesting; it says some things, some some obvious things, but it still makes for interesting viewing. Yeah. Uh, Sahulieta, the new Almodovar film. Uh, you'll probably hear about that one <laughs> on the year end show. Uh, Want to be curious to see what you think, Krisha? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That That is on my list, too. Yep. Yeah, I think I'd be curious to see what you think. I think it'll probably fall the same way I do once uh, we talk about it, if we do. Um, Paradise Hawaiian style, little Elvis Hawaii uh, jam. My wife came home. I, I came home and I was watching it, so I thought that's cool. Um, I'll just talk about two more things quickly. I had the distinct pleasure of seeing The Last Dragon at the cinema with Timok in attendance last Friday. Um, this was a big thing for me. Anyone who's listened to our show long enough knows we're huge fans. Mm-hmm. We covered it the week my oldest son was born, uh, fittingly. I've probably seen it more than any other film in my life. Um, you and I had behind the scenes tried to reach out to Time Back once for an interview. It kind of didn't really pan out, and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, even though I, I didn't really pursue it enough to maybe make that assumption that we were brushed off. But I'm glad that we went to this. Um, my kids got to meet him, got pictures with him, got an autograph. He was very, very nice. Really great Q and A. My kids got to do a question up on the stage with him, and we had to do a push up for him, and <laughs> you know, it was cool. But um, what a joy seeing this with an audience. Uh, my kids went nuts. It was the first time they'd seen it again. Timing is everything. Yeah. Uh, William wanted to, such a Canadian, like such a GGTMC moment. We were putting it, trying on my kids' hockey equipment the, uh, the other day. And uh, William goes, Dad, can we put on the Last Dragon soundtrack? <laughs> so we put on the theme, man, and he's getting like kid. It's like his kid up moment, and he's like, "This is so epic." <laughs> and uh, and then they wanted to watch the last fight last night, and they think Eddie Arcadian's a piece of shit, and <laughs> you know, he is a uh, he is a real scumbag, though. Yeah, he is. Oh, he's such a piece of shit, man. <laughs> I, and I love how it's great how he calls Sean off Mister Nuff, <laughs> Mister Nuff. <laughs> So ridiculous, man. Uh, and I still, I still, I don't know what 
they were thinking with Vanity doing that Seventh Heaven song. It's such a bizarre moment in the film, like the voice she uses, and yeah, it's so strange. But uh, and finally, we watched Kindergarten Cop last night. Um, my kids are big Arnold fans, and there's sort of a smaller catalog of kind of PG thirteen films that they can watch. Mm-hmm. They really loved it because it's like young kids and Arnold interacting with young kids, and yeah. Uh, I inadvertently had quoted Jerry Maguire when I said I was watching it. I said, but the human head weighs eight pounds. <laughs> but I forgot the line in this was, and of course my kids laughed hard both times. When the one boy says, boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. Yeah. So, now those two things kiss, no longer virgin. No, no, <laughs> no, no virgin in the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> virgin so, 2.0. <laughs> yeah. No, if you do anal, you're still virgin. I guess in some regard. Yeah, there's... A, medically speaking, at least. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't want to go down I don't know if medically, that road. I don't know if medically speaking, maybe religiously speaking. Maybe, maybe religious, <laughs> yes, maybe religiously speaking. <laughs> I knew a girl in high school who, uh, that was her... Uh, <laughs> that was how she was, that was her workaround? Yeah, that was her workaround, which I used to think was pretty ridiculous. I'm like, okay, well... That, that doesn't really mean what you think it means, I think. Matter of fact, you may yeah. want the extreme route. <laughs> I, I think, and I'm doing air quotes, she, I hope she wasn't a virgin into her 30s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you talk about wind socks. Ooh. Yeah. That muscle's not as tight as it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, that's the truth, man. That's a hound dog at this point. Good Lord. Oh, even whoopee cushions get old after a while. Yeah. Uh, and there's no muscle there. So. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's cool, man. I'm glad you guys are, you know, it's interesting to listen to you talk about your uh, what you and your kids watch because uh, you can hear the the growing change of their taste and all that kind of stuff. It's still interesting in this day and age to listen to parents talk about what they watch with their kids anyway because uh, obviously I go through the same thing, but I still think back to my mom thinking, you know, with no filter and, you know, I still think to myself, you know, obviously she didn't know any better, nor did, you know, I do I think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think everything depends on the kid. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that, that we would watch some of the things we watch together is pretty funny in, in hindsight. I know it's crazy. <laughs> there's just a lot more to choose from now, though, though, too. You know, so there's just, you know, you got a lot more options. Sure do. All right, we're going to take a short break, or should we even take a break? I think we should just go right into it. I mean, let's I, do it. I really don't have anything to talk about on my end, so let's jump right into. It. You want to jump into a uh, uh, cockfighter talking about the girls from high school? Let's see. Uh, speaking of speaking of anal, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Whoa, hey, hey, yeah. We're definitely right. back. <laughs> Back, backside. Yeah, the crass and crass on that ass. Uh, we're back. Yeah, that uh, sour ass, son. <laughs> I, mean, I bet you there's there a lot of sour ass on the set of this film, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, Here we go. 1974's Cockfighter, directed yeah. by the one, the only Monty Hellman. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I like the, uh, the, uh, the cock- IMDb, IMDb <laughs> synopsis, is Southern action drama about cockfighting. So, it's nothing if not economical, I guess. Yeah. I don't even know if it's an action drama. It's more like a drama than an action drama. But I guess some of the action, if you're, I guess if you were a rooster and you were watching this movie, it's pretty action packed. Man, that <laughs> choreography is amazing. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> yeah, it would be. And you would think maybe like the, um, the Lao Car Lung of uh, the cockfighting world choreographed this stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty impressive, uh, impressive slow mo. But uh, <clears throat> this is, 
at least the second Monty Hellman film we've done, maybe the third. Um, I, well, I know it's the second for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna look through here real quick and see if we did a third. While well, you go ahead and get going on it, and well, uh, I, I will. But there is a film in here, and Monty fittingly early in Monty Hellman's career that uh, ties in with what we've been talking about with anal. It's called Backdoor to Hell. Yeah, I like think of him more as Backdoor to Heaven, but yeah, no. yeah, it depends on your perspective, I guess. Yeah, I guess it depends on your perspective. <laughs> he directed Silent Night, Deadly Night Three. Yeah, well, yeah, because uh, I think after, you know, I think, I believe after, like, the 70s, he couldn't really get work. He, he started working as a producer and stuff, because China 9, Liberty 37 was 78. That's real late, 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 late cycle Spaghetti Western, quote-unquote. Which we've been talking about doing forever, too, because yeah. of the uh, Oates, uh, Fabio Testi connection. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, I don't think he could get much work. Uh, I know he did. Like the, on IMDb says he worked on Avalanche Express. I don't know. Maybe he did. As uncredited, and he did a little thing on Coppola. But after that, it was wasn't until '88 till he made Iguana, um, which I don't think worked out well for him. And then after that, he shot a lot of video stuff and really hasn't done much anything. He did get some buzz for Road to Nowhere, which I meant to watch that he made in 2010, but I haven't got around to watching it. But yeah, Monty Hellman's one of those guys that. Uh, he didn't make a, a whole lot of movies, but some of the ones he made are, are pretty pretty special. Left a mark on the – I think his his high-water marks, like sort of stuff like this, Tulane, obviously, to a lesser degree, China 9, Liberty 37, kind of high-water mark uh, or high, high points uh, in sort of the intersection of art house and exploitation or art house and drive-in fare. Yeah, yeah. But how about uh, – how about Silent Night, Deadly Night Three? Better watch out. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you know. I, I gotta say, I don't think I've ever seen anything past I, Silent Night, Deadly Night Two. Say, uh, I, I I might have watched the third one a few years ago. I, I don't. No, I didn't because I would have remembered Bill Mosley in it. But yeah. I think I only watched the first two as well. Yeah, I think I've only ever watched the first two. I never, I never got past that. Never got past Garbage Day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, let me get into some uh, some cockfight, wow. cockfighting man here. Leonard Leonard Mann is actually in uh, cockfight in uh, cockfighter three. Is <laughs> 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 in uh, in that Amazing. movie as well. Is in uh, Sound Night Deadly Night Three. Sound Night Night Three. Leonard Mann is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. That is cool. I mean, doesn't mean I'm going to run out and watch it. There's probably oh, somebody. I'm... There's probably somebody listening that's telling us right now we should watch it. <laughs> I think we should. Well, at some point, I'm sure we. I mean, at some point in the history Robert of the show, in it. yeah. <laughs> at some point during the history of the show, I'm sure we might get across the Silent Night, Deadly Night series. Yeah, Ricky Caldwell. There we go. All right. Oh, there's got, it's got ESP in it too. A clairvoyant blind woman, and man, all sorts of fucking Tom Fleury going on. <laughs> yeah. Sounds pretty cool. I might have to check it out tonight. <laughs> um, okay, cockfighter. So. Um, we just talked about Hellman and talked about his career. You know, very interesting filmmaker, obviously. Who's on social media? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can uh, you can communicate with him. He's pretty he's pretty open. Uh, open. Yeah, he'll he'll talk to you if you ask him questions. I've often thought about asking him on the show, but again, it's one of those things where timing is everything. And I would, we'd love to do more interviews. We just uh, sadly can't can't do as many as we'd like. There is one coming down the pipes very soon, though. Very, very soon. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, just, I think at this point, though, much like Joe Dante with Gremlins, he doesn't really want to talk about Tulane Blacktop anymore, though. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he wants to talk about that one that much anymore. Oh man, I got a, a rascal up. Hang on one sec. Oh boy. Are you, <laughs> you better go to bed, buddy. It's six no, in the morning. Thank you. Go. Mm-mm. William, look, it's still dark out. <laughs> no, 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 William. Look at that. Look at that. You got to go downstairs, buddy. I'll be right down, okay? Shut the door, honey. It's still early, dude. I wish I was still in bed. <laughs> yeah, really. Okay. <laughs> he uh, he saw me set my lamp for four thirty. He goes, "Well, I'm getting up too." I go, "Oh, you won't believe yeah. me." William Junior. Sleep fighter. Yeah, sleep fighter. No kidding. <laughs> but uh, let me talk about the cast in this one. Uh, one of the strengths, I think, of um, Hellman, and this might might. Might be his strongest cast, maybe. Uh, yeah, top maybe. to bottom. Yeah, top to bottom as far as uh, names and stuff of people that you know. Yeah, I'd say probably. Uh, Warren Oates, of course, headlines as the titular cockfighter. Um, Harry Dean Stanton, another GGTMC favorite, also a cockfighter. Uh, Richard Schull, who uh, puts in a great turn in the film. Ed Bagley Jr. as Tom Peoples. Yeah. The. Uh, the the coverall wearing uh, son of a cockfighter who's a, you know one in his own right I guess Laurie Bird. Um, what has Laurie Bird been in? Well, she, Wait, was in she was in Two Lane Blacktop. Yeah, she was in Two Lane Blacktop, and she didn't do a lot. She only did that Annie Hall and Cockfighter, and she unfortunately passed away young. Oh, it's too bad. She's twenty five uh, when she died. Man, I don't know. Uh, if it, I can't remember if we talked about it back in the day. I can't remember if it was uh, drugs or what it was. Oh boy, so that's very sad. Man. Oh, she committed suicide in in Art in Art Garfunkel's penthouse. Ooh. Oh boy, man, that's a shame. <clears throat> we, we, that's we, awful. we probably talked about that way we back when. But did. Uh, Troy Donahue, yeah, uh, yeah, good old Troy Donahue, and uh, a couple more names here. One that's very GGTMC that I you remiss if I didn't mention. Uh, Steve Rails back. Yeah, yeah. He of the cockfighter who doesn't like who plays by his own rules. Yeah, <laughs> he of the underacting school. He, yeah, <laughs> he of the underacting. One of my favorite scene cheers, Steve Rails back. <laughs> yeah, he, he 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 has no um, he has no second, third, or fourth gear. It's either first or fifth. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> Remember that one? Remember that PM Entertainment film we did with him as a cop? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember oh, the name man. of it off the top. I of think Davy Hancock. Uh, no, what Davey, Davey, Davey Alcock. Alcock, right? yeah, Alcock. It was Alcock. Yeah, he was on the show. Uh, which, yeah, which I have a friend named Dave uh, Hancock, which is why I said that. <laughs> but he came on, and that was insane. That film. But uh, yeah, good old Rose back. Uh, anyway, let me get into the film proper here. So Corman produced this film. Uh, I imagine this was huge in the drive-in circuit. Mm. It just, you know, and one of the great things about this film is it's, it feels like a real snapshot uh, kind of in time, just a moment in time in, in a culture and, and a region. And this was a time before the Internet kind of shrunk the world. Yeah. So this is very specific. You know, this is also a time before um, different cultural. Um, Private Wars, <laughs> that's the name of that Railsback movie. Yes, and regional um, rituals and traditions uh, had would sort of spread and be sprinkled 
throughout the world, mm-hmm. right? So this was very much a southern thing. Um, so it's fascinating to see that. And uh, one of the cool things about this film is Oates, who one of our favorites, Kentucky, son of Kentucky, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And and for me, the best on-screen smoker of all time. Actually, it's funny. Both of our films this week have uh, Kentucky-born uh, gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, the, the Depp is from Jack. Owensboro. Yeah. So Which cool. isn't too far away from me. Is actually that, That's actually closer to me than uh, Depoy. Depoy is uh, a little bit of a ways away, but Depoy's, uh, there's nothing in Depoy, uh, Kentucky, whereas where Oates is from, there's Owensboro is actually a bit of a bit of a good size but uh there is nothing in deploy i mean nothing <laughs> that's crazy it's the middle of nowhere okay, still to this day. what's that still to this day deploy has nothing in it really that's too bad speaking of actors that died too young yeah 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 yeah. i mean obviously you know he was a hard-living guy i mean he smoked he drank he didn't take care of himself um you know Smoking was really his biggest vice. I think he smoked constantly, from what I understand. He was a chain smoker. So, But easily one of the greatest actors I think that's ever been on screen. Uh, one of the most natural actors I think ever evolved. You know, I, not a character. I, I mean, maybe, yeah, a character actor, not a method actor or or that type of actor. But I just there's something about Warren Oates and the camera that just works. I think it always felt, everything always felt very honest uh, and transparent with him. Mm-hmm. He felt very natural in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I like. I, I, he inhabited roles without doing it in a very showy or method way, I think, like you just said. Mm-hmm. That's right. Which is one of the things that I really admire about him, especially as I've gotten older, you know, with less is more. Yep. Um, I mean, just watching him but, roll a cigarette and, uh, you know, pop it in his mouth. And, you know, of course, one of the big uh, things about this movie is he takes a vow of silence, right? So yeah. he doesn't speak in the movie. Uh, except for narration, you can hear him the the great Warren Oates voice, and uh, you know he sounds completely. That's what really what somebody from Kentucky really sounds like. There's a little bit of a southern twinge to it, but not completely. And uh, he never really lost that accent either. He's always kind of sounded like a little bit like a country bumpkin, but not much. Like he, there was a there was a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? An authority to his voice somehow, some way. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I yes. love when he pops that cigarette, that rolled cigarette in his mouth, and pops it in there. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think um, the the narration, I think, is kind of a smart way around. It, it's because, yeah, he doesn't talk. He, the thing was, he took the, I don't know if you'd said this, the vow of silence he takes, uh, he takes because he says and until he wins the Cockfighter of the Year medal, <laughs> yeah. he's not going to speak. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, that, that could be a roll of the dice because we see in a flashback. Uh, he has to, speaking of birds, he has to really eat some crow because he, uh, he was strutting around very, uh, he was a shit talker mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he ended up with egg on his face. And, uh, well, his cock, uh, his feathered cock, um, lost, a lost a cock fight. <laughs> so, you know, he had to, he had to eat it and uh, he got humbled. You know, I guess in the cockfighting world, much like in the wrestling ring, uh, you can get fucked in the ass and made humble. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the way it went. So he uh, he takes the vow of silence. I was going to say a vow of celibacy, but he didn't certainly do that. No. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, he takes that vow, and, and we see him traveling through the back roads of the South, and I really love some of that stuff. It's kind of like um, 
feels like that that I think it's called All American Hero, that Junior Johnson film with uh, Jeff Bridges. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of some of the backwoods rural stuff without feeling like very Hollywoody and overdone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like the stuff that uh, I guess there's very few directors. I don't know how Monty Hillman does it. He he's managed to capture kind of. Uh, you know, eras and, and, and rural parts of America. I don't know exactly where Monty Hillman's from. I thought he, I thought he was from California. He might be. That's from what there. I thought too. But he manages to capture parts of America. Cause think of Tulane bike top. It's kind of like the Midwest. Actually, he's from Brooklyn, New York of all places. <laughs> wow. So I know he's lived in LA most of his life, but either way, um, he captures that, but it kind of reminds me of somebody like, you know, like Jeff Nichols, who always captures the South really well. And so does David Gordon Green, these guys that, they kind of capture the South, uh, you know, not in a cartoonish way. Um, certainly they, they can do that. They've done their comedies and, and, and things, and they've worked on Eastbound and Down. They certainly can do that, but because the South is easy to make fun of. But it's, it's, um, it's interesting when you see these movies and uh, people take it seriously because this is kind of really what, you know, the South can be a very, it, it's a very, it can be a very serious place. It, it doesn't have to necessarily be a, comical place i think it just you know i think Bert, i blame burt reynolds for the <laughs> the comedic uh part of the south a little bit oh that that and our natural buffoonery down here with uh, some of the ways that people still think down here well what's funny i was about to say was i feel like as much as there's sort of buffoonery on display in in reynolds films there's also a little bit of an authenticity at least mm-hmm. to the, yeah, yeah. the the place the locales <coughs> yeah and unlike uh nichols and green we're from the south. Hellman's not. He still has that knack for capturing it. So yep. that's impressive. It is. Um, Shot in Juliet, Georgia. How oh, was it? Okay. I, I put a note here, that early riser, but I don't know why <laughs> I say that now. Um, and I like to, much like in Tulane Blacktop, and um, I think, you know, China 9, Liberty 37. One of the things Hellman deals with is people on the the fringes, obsessive yeah. people mm-hmm. uh, with sort of a, an alternative way of life, mm-hmm. and the the liberty the maybe how liberating that is for them or how that that just works better for them. And um, one of the things too that works well in this is the narr- narration gives the uninitiated a good uh, kind of it's a nice workaround and a walkthrough of the finer points of cockfighting. Yeah. Yes, what to watch out for, what to, to tips of the trade, tools of the trade. And I do want to say for those of us uh, that are animal lovers, um, there is real cockfighting in this film. Um, it can be a little tough to watch. Yeah. 1974 was a different time. Clearly. Yeah. Slow-mo um, cockfighting. I mean, it's uh, slow-mo cockfighting. Yeah. It's pretty brutal at times. Uh, so if you are uh, squeamish or you don't really want to watch that, uh, heads up! There's there's a little bit of it in here, and it is this isn't like Cannibal Holocaust where you can watch the animal cruelty free version. Like I mean, there, there isn't there's a whole lot of. I don't I think it, it's not what, it's it, not completely cruel, but it's still pretty nasty. It's still, it's still, it's still tough, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. you know, beware of that if you are so inclined to want to watch it. Um. So, yeah. Uh, I won't judge it one way or the other. I mean, I think they obviously could have made the movie without that, but just the same way they could have made the movie with Cannibal Holocaust without uh, the, you know, the animal cruelty in it as well. Um, you can argue that all day long. I don't, I don't 
take that as a mark against the movie, though. I mean, it's it is what it is. A choice was made. Um, I think Pelman, Oates, everybody involved wanted to show. You know, I think they wanted to show the cruelty of it. So I think so too. I think so too, and I think that it's easier to work around the animal cruelty. I think the animal cruelty is much more senseless and way more barbaric in um, cannibal Holocaust than this. Like this yeah. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and I want to say that, and I mean this completely from an observational kind of detached perspective, but the slow-mo cockfighting works beautifully cinematically. It does. It's, it's- it gives you an appreciation for what these uh, roosters are doing. Um, the movement, um, the barbarism of it, uh, the intensity of it. Um, yeah, you know, it really, chickens and roosters are not known for their grace. <laughs> no. Well, but sure if you not. see them in slow motion fighting, it's pretty interesting to see. There's almost a, and this sounds bizarre, but I, 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 if you see the movie, you'll know what we're talking about. There's almost a, uh, it's not choreographed, but there's almost a kung fu element Yeah. to the way a rooster fights that's... Uh, pretty crazy when you see it in slow motion you're really kind of amazed at how how these na- animals in their natural element and, and it's pretty natural for roosters to fight it's not an unnatural thing it's unnatural to put them in a ring and put spurs on their on their claws and things like that or their talons or whatever the fuck those things are uh i don't know what you would call them on a rooster i guess but anyway the uh that's unnatural you know making it a sport but the natural uh, way of things is, you know, animals fight just like people do. It's sad but true. And and uh, to watch roosters who, you know, obviously don't get any training, but they uh, they uh, they just have this natural ability to fight. It's pretty insane. Well, we do see that maybe there's not direct fight training, but there's some pretty interesting training montages. There's yeah, training yeah, yeah. montages with mm-hmm. you know, getting them to run and do certain things and get used to the noise and everything else. So yeah. that was kind of interesting to see, certainly. There's a way um, to get them uh, kind of hyped up. There's a way to do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So again, it's it's kind of it's that organic way that all of these things are given to us as the viewers into the world of cockfighting, which is I think something probably ninety nine, maybe even higher, ninety nine plus percent of our audience know nothing about. Yeah, I've been present at a cockfight, but not a. Uh, <laughs> There's a, there was a joke there. I'm glad nobody, you know, <laughs> if Todd was here, you guys would have jumped all over that one. Uh, I have I've been present at two, I should say, two roosters getting into it. And uh, it's not pretty, man. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, somebody's going to go down, and they're going to go down for yeah. good. <laughs> uh, I don't know how it happened. I just happened to be there, and uh, <laughs> it's... It went, Rock in hand. Yeah, it, it went down, and it was cruel, and I was a little kid, and I felt really bad. I felt really, you know kind of heartbroken for the other rooster i was like oh i had to get away i just ran away my, my i should say this is a fun little insight my my baby girl she is scared to death of chickens it's <laughs> not funny yeah i think it's because of how fast they move uh we, yeah. we were on a farm yeah we were on a farm i guess uh yeah back in december we were in a farm we go to this farm for my wife's uh, family's kind of christmas get together really nice place uh where families can get together anyway there's always a bunch of chickens running around. And I thought she'd be, you know, she loves animals. So I thought, oh, she'll love these chickens running around. So I take her out of the chickens. She's just like flipping out. She's like, ah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I thought she'd like them. You know? I thought she liked the chickens. She didn't like the chickens at all. I don't like that, man. <laughs> Fuck those chickens. Yeah, she's done. <laughs> hope, it didn't, hope it didn't inadvertently turn her into Warren Oates and cockfighters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
We watch. You're gonna you're gonna call her. She's just gonna be dead around the phone. She take a vow of silence. Yeah, be rolling her own cigarettes and. <laughs> oh man, that's amazing. Um, but uh, <laughs> good lord, um, I really really like the character. I think one of the things Helmut does too, and I mentioned it earlier, but. I love that he casts really interesting character actors. And when you get a film like this with a really smart filmmaker, um, you can call, you know, like I said, oh, it's a character actor, whatever you want to say. But um, I think he's smart enough to get good actors that are maybe underseen in his ensemble, which um, really sure. enhances the film. Like, yeah. I really like Richard B. Shull in the film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Hellman always gets good performances out of actors. Good performances, man. Everyone's everyone. Everyone in this film is completely believable. Yeah, yeah. Stan, it's not like you say, say some. We should say Stanton's a Kentucky boy as well, but they, it, you don't have to be from the South uh, to be. I don't think Ed Bagley Jr.'s from the South, and I don't think Steve Railsback's from the South. Oddly, Steve Railsback is from Texas, and um, oh, uh, a different type of South. But yeah, okay, different type of South. Ed Bagley Jr. I thought it was like California or East Coast. Oh. I it was more. But, you know, he, he is able to get, uh, you know, Ed Bakley Jr., more known for his comedic performances, really. And then Railsback, known for his wacky performances. But either way, um, he's able to get really good performances. He's always been able to do that. I don't know if he's just really good with actors or if he just really knows how to to really get the best out of an actor. I mean, him and Oates worked together, what, like three times, I think? Three or four times, maybe? Actually, more, maybe, maybe. maybe. At least three. Yeah, maybe more than anybody else worked with Oates, I think. Maybe more than Peckinpah worked with him. That's crazy. I know he loved Warren. I mean, he, he, in interviews, he's spoken very highly of him. And you know, maybe it's no coincidence that when Warren passed away, he didn't really work much. Yeah. I'm trying to see. I think that's an interesting see, insight. Yeah, it is. I didn't even think about that. But Warren passed away in 82, and he didn't really do anything between 80 and 88. 90, yeah. 88. Yeah, no, it's true. There might have been something in there, right, that maybe could have got some European financing or something, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Ed Bagley Jr. is, because his dad, I think, worked in the business. Um, L.A. kid, so. Um, I like to, uh, you know, the film, as is always the case with a good filmmaker, most of the technical aspects are sound. Like, it's edited well, like, the film kind of has a relaxed feel. Um, it's not really in a. It, it doesn't feel like you know some some films feel very rigidly edited to to have that traditional arc. But this doesn't feel that way. Um, but we still, through the strength of the editing during like the cockfighting scenes, they're edited with a little more frenzy and kind of feverish uh, intensity. Yeah. You know, so it really gets it kind of gets you. You're, you know, hard going, your blood pumping when you're starting to see the quick cuts and the, the betting and all this stuff. It kind of how quickly this world gets ramped up. And uh, Harry Dean Stanton, of course, being, uh, you know, there's not really a villain in the film per se, but he's the adversary or the mm -hmm. rival of, uh, of Warren Oates. And of course, uh, Stanton rocking the white suit or the cream yeah. suit. I think I liked one subtle touch about this movie that I didn't realize the first time, and maybe it's just me, but I noticed the first time you see Stanton. He really manages to keep the rooster that uh, Oates has and Stanton's actual cock in the frame as he's talking to Oates the first time. Yeah. And I found that kind of interesting that, you know, 
he not only does is he into cockfighting, but he thinks he's the cock of the walk as well. Anyway, you know, of course, with that suit, man. Yeah, and he pulls his, you know, he pulls the lapels of his jacket back. You know, he's standing there with his hands on his hips, as if to say, you know, look at this Kentucky, you know, walnut. You know, you know, I don't know what he, what he's thinking there, but obviously, you know, this would be a a big dick sport, right? This would be that type of, of thing. Of course, it would. A lot of machismo and yeah, pissing contest, pissing whatever contest. you want to call it. Yeah. Absolutely. Four, four times, yeah. Four times him and Oates worked together. I counted four. That's crazy. So I think that's what was the fourth. Most. Uh, uh, I had Cockfighter Tulane and uh, China Nine. The shooting, the shooting back in sixty. Oh yes, yeah. yes, yes. Fuck, that's right. Um, I think we're reminded of the, the the brutality of the the sport, for lack of a better word, mm. when we find see that trailer full of de- dead birds. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> Tough stuff, man. And then, you know, another thing, too, that I kind of cringe at now is um, Oates' character decides that he's going to make a big bet because he doesn't have much to bet. He's going to bet uh, his trailer and this and that. And he's, he includes Lori Bird, kind of his girlfriend, in the bet. Yeah. Without her consent. He's like, we'll bet her, too. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. <like> you know, <laughs> kind of a terrible. Yeah. And. It's one of those things, you know, obviously you couldn't get away with that in this day and age. And no. uh, he says in the voice of, you know, she's young, she's pretty, she's a good lay, you know, she'll be okay. You know. <laughs> <It's> terrible. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I mean, you know, not the most likable character. <laughs> no. But but that's, you know, we're not interested so much in, in redemption or anything else. We're just, it's an observational piece, a slice of life, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the world, of, in the realm of this uh, cockfighter. Um Uh, we should say, I think it's always the case with Oates, an under, an unsung hero in the world of uh, ascots and neckerchiefs on screen. He's he's rocking the his ascot game is strong in this one too. Yeah, that's one of my notes too. Yeah, <laughs> he hasn't spoken as highly as uh, you know, as your Peter Bogdanoviches or your yeah. uh, or your uh, maybe maybe Robert Culp even. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, he, he's been be. known to rock a neckerchief every now and then. He comes correct, man. He does. <laughs> well, I think he must have him and Monty. He said, Monty, you know, make sure this uh, costume guy's got a few ascots on standby. Yeah. <laughs> silk scarves. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, you know, another thing, too, that I like about the film, it's not really discussed. It's not really a focal point, but it's one of those just kind of small things that helps you paint the picture of Oates' life is when he falls into the shitter in a figurative sense. He decides to go back home to see his ex-wife, and there's another dude living there yeah. with her. And, you know, you got to get the sense that Oates has kind of frittered away the goodwill and love uh, and any sort of financial prosperity he had other than the deed to this house, which out of a sense of, I guess, chivalry and duty, you know, he, he his wife keeps and it's paid off and stuff. But he goes to get the house, and the dude's living there, and he says, I, you know, I want my 2500 bucks. And the guy says, I can't get 25, let alone 2,500, but it's your house, so stay as long as you like. <laughs> sort of a weird, weird dynamic. Yeah. That dude's such a layabout. Like, why is he getting up and having breakfast with a suit on? Like, don't you have a job? Like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah. You don't have a mortgage. Yeah. Maybe. I'm living high on the hog. Yeah, maybe he's the early riser you were talking about. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> he's up early with the suit on, looking for eggies and, and uh, some bacon, you know? But yeah, man, you're gonna eat eggs. You're gonna eat eggs yeah, you in a shirt and tie. No, yeah, you don't. You don't. My eat, choice. 
If you if you wear a shirt, if you wear a suit to work, uh, pro tip: eat in your pajamas, then change into the suit. Yeah, what are you doing? No. You're going to eat egg yolk with a tie dangling over it. Yeah, you don't do that. Come on. Bad move, man. Yeah, bad move. Bad move. <laughs> uh, how about that line? This is such an H-A-H-A-Hour line. I can see his high spring, but he but he's an ace cock. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, there's a lot of uh, easy innuendo in here and, and simple jokes. I mean... We haven't really even talked about the tagline, right? I mean, we talked about it years ago, but I, we haven't talked about the tagline that AIP tried to sell the movie on. Yes, which, which is, is incredible. Yeah, he came to town with his cock in his hand, and it was, you know, and what he did with it was illegal in 49 states. Amazing. Uh, which is a great tagline uh, because it's 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 blue. It's It sounds, you know, naughty, obviously. It, it sells. The way lives his life. Yeah. <laughs> it sells, you know, it's a... And uh, like I've, I've talked about this a little bit, my son's really into wrestling now, and I'm saying, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, man, that really gets the movie over. I'm speaking in uh, wrestling talk in my head, you know. Yeah. But it does get the movie over if you think about it, because if I hear that tagline today, oh I'm like, God. I'm gonna be like, well, who made this movie? Because now I'm interested. <laughs> yes, no, totally. You know, because it's totally. it's something that I'm not normally going to see. And uh, then that being said, this movie's made in 1974, and still something I haven't hardly ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a lot more movies. Oh, you see that every day. That's an everyday thing. Yeah, Yeah, I've seen a hell of a lot more movies with actual cocks and hands than than this one. Yeah, we all man. I lived it. My own cock, I should say. Hey man, be careful. Teach their own. I don't slalom ski, but teach their own. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Man, you imagine uh, Glenn Turman as the cockfighter? <laughs> yeah. Hey, be amazing. it would be amazing. Oh, she, that would be good. <laughs> uh, we get to see, uh, what did, forgive, I've, both times I've seen this film, because I've only seen it twice. Uh, both times I've seen this Railsbeck, does he uh, does he stick his finger in the co- in the chicks in the rooster's eye or up his ass? Uh, as far as I know, you can uh, stick a, a finger up a, a. I don't I don't I don't even know how I know some of this stuff. Yeah, as far a- as I know, yeah, it it. Well, I mean, let's be honest. If I'm getting ready to go into a fight too, you stick your finger in my ass, I'm gonna be pissed. <laughs> That's gonna get me. Let's go get the blood boiling pretty quick. That, that, that is, it's that post match technique, man. Well, that that, that is a that, again to go back to wrestling. That is a quote unquote unspoken rule of wrestling. If you're in there stiff, stiff, <laughs> stiff meaning not there stiff. Yeah, yeah. Stiff not meaning the type of stiff we're we're joking about, but stiff being meaning that you're you're not uh, giving yourself to the other guy. Again, that sounds again. funny. Again, again, that sounds funny. But you're 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 uh, you're actually wrestling. You're actually fighting. You know, you're not yep. selling the moves. Well, some of the old school wrestlers will just take their thumb and jam it right up your ass, Jeez. right in front of you know twenty thousand people. And if you didn't start straightening your shit out then, then they'd they'd fucking they'd pop your eyeball out. You know, that was another thing they do. They'd stick their thumb in your eye and they'd pop it out. Oh, uh, you know, old school wrestlers didn't fuck around. You know, no, those 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 dudes were serious. Man. Yeah, those guys were bar fighters. You know, those guys weren't interested in lifting fucking weights. No, they were smoking, drinking beer, man. They, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't think it ever turned into movie stars and all the pageantry it is now. They thought, fuck, this is a tough life. <laughs> you got a barrel chest. Yeah. 
I'm not going to make my $300 tonight if you don't fucking start selling, so you're going to lose an eyeball, fuckwad. Yeah. So, I mean, Zom could speak better to this than anybody. He's a better, he's more of a wrestling historian than I am, but uh, from what I understand, that uh, with chickens anyway, roosters, that yeah, I think you can uh, get them riled up by <laughs> a little invasive technology. The, yeah. the old the old thumb up the up the ass uh, thing. Yeah. I've never been near a chicken. I've never been close enough to a chicken to ever look at an asshole of a chicken. Never seen a rooster's asshole. I'm happy to say. Evidently, you can you can screw a chicken too, but I I don't know. You know. Yeah, I, I would think. Why wouldn't you want the closest thing <laughs> to human? Like the sheep thing, at least. Yeah, it's, it's you're more similar more in the round yeah. than a rooster. I mean, yeah, you really got to be into poultry to want to fuck a chicken. You really, yeah. <laughs> you get salmon. I like you get. I don't know, man. That's just uh, there's yeah. too many questions that I don't want answered. Sounds like I just made. I may have just made an inadvertent tagline. I mean, you really got to be into poultry to fuck this chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. But yeah, I'm pretty totally sure. I'm pretty do. sure. I, again, I don't know enough. Matter of fact, I hate to Google this, but I'm going to Google that. Let's see. Yeah, let's let's not, see if I get I'm any answers. You Google it, not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sir, we want to ask a question on uh, you know this day in uh, 19. 19- Siri. <laughs> Siri, <laughs> if I stick my finger up a rooster's ass, <laughs> will he get pissed off? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, we get some oats food in this. Yes, oh, googling though, which is good. Um, Ed Bailey Jr. is good and kind of threatening, and it's like the the kind of hillbilly kind of crazy son. Um, and uh, I gotta ask you, do you think? And there's like a heist in this, yeah. And one of the dudes is wearing like a tricky dick uh, Richard Nixon mask. Would you think that was sort of a poke at Nixon, kind of robbing Southerners or the perception, or uh, potentially? I mean, I really don't know. I, I haven't read enough to not, to know, but yeah, it could be. I mean. Hellman is a political guy, so I, I believe it's totally possible. Um, Ed Bagley tests the durability of Wranglers in this. I don't know what that meant anymore, but I wrote it down. Uh, Honduras, they're still there's they're still cockfighting in Honduras. Uh, how about Glass Joe, Ed Bagley Jr. in this man? Yeah, <laughs> he comes out. You know, he's going bananas, and then he just he gets felled pretty easily. Um, I'll tell you one of the lines I love. I think it's Richard Scholl that says it. He says, we're in the mystic realm of the great cock. And they have a this champagne fountain. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, Hellman is the kind of filmmaker that gives us, is skilled enough to get us invested in not someone who's pure of heart and a sport that we really don't care for, but we invest enough in the back end of the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is interesting. A uh, little, what does it say? little... Oh, the referee, or not the referee, one of the cockfighters in this looks like, uh, looks like, um, little Joe, um, Joe, <laughs> D'Alessandro, D'Alessandro, the dude with the headband. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of does. You're right. I didn't think about that at the time, but I'm thinking about it now. You're right. Kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> he totally does. How about, oh, it's at the, there's an interesting thing done at the back end because it really feels like Oates respects the roosters throughout the film. Like he's kind of tender with them and unlike a lot of the other dudes, um, well, then he does something at the very end. Yeah, yeah. The thing at the very end might bother people more than the actual cockfighting. But the the uh, the truth is, you know, it's obvious that Oates can't have a standard relationship. Like he's more in love with cock. For and that culture. Term. Yeah, he's more in love with that world 
than he is. I mean, obviously he has the same needs as, as many men or the same needs as many humans, I should say maybe, but, but he seems to be more attached to, to the, to the chickens or the roosters. I hate to keep saying cock cause it sounds like we're being funny, but it is true. I mean, it, it, uh, it seems to me like he has a natural attachment to them or he understands them better. So I think yeah. for me, the last bit is pretty heartbreaking and in a lot of ways because it, it's at a point where he's, you know, it almost feels like he's given up. Doesn't it feel like romantic suicide? Yeah, it does. It does. It really does feel like that. Yeah, It's pretty crazy. It really it, and, and like I said, again, some people might have more problems with that scene than they'll have with some of the other stuff. Yeah. Because it's real. Yeah. 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 It's real. Uh, that's like Oates said, I think, in an interview or I think in a book I got on him. You know, it's nothing you didn't do growing up. So you know, that's what you ate when you grew up. I mean, I've, hell, I've, I've plucked a chicken before. I'm that, I'm that, I'm that fucking country guys. <laughs> nice. I've never, I've never killed one. I can, I'll, no. I'll tell you that, but I, I have plucked one. How easily does a feather come out? Pretty easily, but there's a hell of a lot more of them than you think there is. I can imagine. It takes a lot of time. That's probably why chicken's so expensive, right? The yeah. de-plucking? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm not, hell, for all I know, in manufacturing, they probably just fucking, I don't know, they might dip them in some kind of chemical and probably just fucking just, get all the drugs off. Like yeah. a nair or something. Yeah. Right? But uh, I know that it's not a, uh, it's a laborious process. It takes time. No kidding. Eesh. It's like de-stringing beans. I mean, that shit ain't going to take, uh, you know, it doesn't, it just don't happen by itself. <laughs> My grandma no, used to I sit and de-string, uh, you know, de-string uh, green beans. She used to sit and watch TV and do that for hours. Oh, boy. Hours. I mean, she'd do it for hours. She loved it, though. I mean, that's just, you know, that's what she grew up doing, so. Man. Homegirl had patience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, you know, my, my grandpa and grandma were country enough that, you know, it wasn't uncommon to go out to the, I may have said this on the show before, but I don't know if I have, but. My grandpa always had a huge garden, and uh, because he had a huge garden, there was always vermin, as he would call them, in his garden, you know, rabbits and and mice and whatnot, and just any kind of critter you can imagine, moles and all that kind of stuff. I mean, because they're going to be attracted to that stuff, and he would catch these animals, some of them, the rabbits in particular, and they, they ate rabbit. I didn't eat it. Um, I tried it once, not for me, but... That, you know, it wasn't uncommon. My grandpa would be talking to me, and I'd walk out back with him, and he'd grab a rabbit out of the pen, and he'd fucking give it the old karate chop on the back of the neck, man, and kill it. Oh, man. Yeah, right there. One in front fell of me. swoop. He's, he's got the, yeah, he the knew how to kill chop him. down. Yeah, yeah. I always laugh about that because now, I mean, it was a, it was pretty, now I think about it, there's a little PTSD involved watching these cute little rabbits get killed, but uh, at the same time, he knew exactly where to hit them. He always knew how to kill something, my grandfather. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been a good thing from a mercy standpoint. I mean, you could say, well, why is he the first? But different time, the need for food. Sure, sure. But at least he was clean about it. Yeah, he grew up poor and an orphan. So, you know, to him, food is, you know, animals were food, and that's just the way it goes. I mean, it was really hard for him to even have a dog for a pet. But he, he eventually adapted. Not that he ever ate dogs, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you want to know, you're a big dog lover, right? So yeah, 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 I was a big dog lover. He used to always tell me that I was wasting my time petting on dogs and stuff like that. He was kind of hard that way, but you know, he, he was a good man overall. He just, you know, he was a he was, time, yeah, he was a product of his time, right? I mean, it, let's just be honest, he was a product of his time. A lot of things he thought I didn't agree with. Not exactly. 
But yeah, to get back on the uh, the cockfighter thing. But yeah, that's pretty much it, right? You got to pretty much wrap it yeah, up. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll say, man, uh, this was an interesting watch this time around. Obviously, this is not something I revisit very often. I really like Warren Oates in this movie. Uh, the cockfighting itself does kind of leave a, a taste in your mouth. I mean, it is beautiful to look at in the way you can say that and the way you can say violence is beautiful to look at, even movie violence or maybe not real violence. Uh, but either way, it, it, it's it's a complicated movie in that way. I mean, it's not something I would show anybody um, because, well, I'd have to ask them obviously first. I'm like, look, you have a problem with you know, some animal cruelty because this is, you know, this is the real deal. But Oates' performance is worth uh, watching the movie for. And like Will says, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to watch a, a cut. Uh, the movie's only 83 minutes long anyway, so you're not going to be able to watch a cut uh, without the cockfighting in it. And it kind of adds to it. Again, to each their own. I totally get it. If you don't support this movie, if you hate it because of that, that's cool. Uh, I, I get that. I totally do. Um I don't hate the movie. Don't I, I dislike the cockfighting, but I think I'm supposed to. I think they're kind of showing the beauty of it, but they're also kind of showing the, the brutality of it and kind of relating that to humanity's kind of brutality to each other. Because in a lot of ways, we're much more brutal because, you know, we, we, we manipulate people psychologically. We do things for 40 and 50 and 60 years, whereas two roosters get in the fucking pen, they're going to settle it right then and there. So in a lot of ways, you know, human beings are much more cruel than any animals are. So, oh, big time, man. Or they can be. Let's say that. I'm not going to say everybody's cruel. I mean, I, <laughs> that would be inappropriate. But let's just say that you can be very cruel as a human being. You can hold a grudge for 90 years, right? Oh. So um, I just think that the, the movie is a really good look at this type of lifestyle. And as hard and as terrible as it is. It's almost like a carny lifestyle or a, uh, or, you know, like a professional wrestling lifestyle, something like that. It's almost like that kind of lifestyle. There's money involved. There's seediness involved. There's ugliness involved. But there's also some humanity involved. I just think that uh, Hellman's more interested in uh, kind of telling the story from the point of view of the cruelty in some ways. Because, again, a lot of cruel people in the movie, too. So. Yeah, there sure are. There isn't a lot of kind people in the film. No, it's not. It's not a rah rah type of movie. <laughs> no, that's that's fine. I mean, that's what we you know like to see sometimes. So the yeah. other half lives. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's as good as Tulane, and no. I don't think it's as good as maybe a couple other Hellman's films. But I do think it is one of his better films, and I do think I will say it's one of Oates' better performances. Obviously, I do wish he would talk in the movie because he's so magnetic, but. At the same time, at least you get to look at him, and and uh, I think that you know he he was special. So uh, at least you got that going for you. But I'll kick it over to you for uh, make or breaks and stuff. Make or break. I want to say it's the first scene when he loses to Stanton. Um, yeah, you know we get to see kind of the world or thrust into the world, and we're going to get the flashback and how he's got to eat it, and you know the vow of celibacy and all that. Um, so that, you know, there's like an official on site to inspect everything and it just, uh, very interesting. Uh, MVT, I'm going to go with Oates. As much as it's Hellman's film and Hellman's a tremendous filmmaker, um, I feel like with a much less charismatic lead, even at 82, 82 minutes, 
and even as fascinating a world that we see on film with the wrong lead, it could have just been very aimless. Um, whereas Oates really is, is, is that wonderful kind of relaxed humanity to him that even when he's not playing a good guy, you, you still pull for him. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with Oates and I'm, I'm going to give this one a, I really love this film. Uh, I'm going to give it an eight point, uh, an 8.5. I think it's fucking, I think it's tremendous. Nice. Nice. Um, okay. Uh, I'll say the make or break for me. I originally wrote down the animal cruelty because I thought it was, you know, the make or break point for anybody to see this movie. Right. I mean, uh, if you're not into that, you probably won't dig it. Um, if you're into it, then, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Uh, the, um, but I, I agree with you, and that's why I said nice when you said that. I really like that scene between him and Stanton. I like the way it's all set up, and I like the way it pays off. It's pretty much the whole movie in a nutshell, really. Uh, it kind of comes early in the movie, but it, it um, kind of dictates what it is. But that, that last scene is really good, too. As cruel as that last really scene good. is, it kind of... Kind of, you kind of get the overall kind of sadness of this Oates character, and the kind of and pitifulness of it of the whole thing. Yes, you know, it's just kind of, it's all kind of just ultimately you just kind of look down on pity on this person. <laughs> yeah, you know what a what a fuck up you are. And but, you kind of feel, I think, the same way his wife does, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it's like, man, why did you have to do? Why did you have to just go ruin it? Like, yeah. You know, you just fucking shot yourself in the foot and hurt me in the process. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. like, what a fucking, what a travesty. <laughs> yeah, what a shame. Yeah. But in saying that, MVT is Oates. I mean, he really is magnetic in the movie. Um, again, in the late 60s and early, in the mid part of the, up to the mid part of the 70s, there might not have been a better actor working in some ways than Warren Oates. Um, again, he died young. A lot of people from my generation, the first time I saw Warren Oates was in Stripes. And I remember my dad always talking about him and about how great he was in Westerns. But, of course, he did, didn't did do a whole lot of movies, really. I mean, he did quite a bit, but he did a lot of TV because he's a lot of TV Western stuff. So I remember thinking, no, oh, this guy, you know, what's the big deal? He plays this kind of goofy drill sergeant. but uh, Not goofy, but kind of hard drill sergeant, which he's tailor-made for. But I, th- I thought at the time he looked like he was 90 years old almost. Of course, you know, he died a couple years later. So, you know, he was aging beyond his uh, years and not taking care of himself hard drinker hard smoker it catches up with you sooner or later some people get past it some people it gets them before they can get it past it right so that's right um my score for the film a little bit lower on yours i give it an eight i think it is an american classic but i think it's a tough american classic i think it's uh again i think there's a lot of reasons why it hasn't really gotten an official release or a lot of uh a lot of celebration hasn't been given behind it it's a hard sell it is a hard sell. It's a hard sell for any, even for a Blu-ray company or anybody. It's a hard sell. I mean, I think only the uh, the most loving of film lovers are going to purchase something like this. I think it's a hard sell. So, and right uh, in in saying that, I mean, it's easily available to see on most online streaming services because it seems like the rights at one point may have died down or may have disappeared or something. It popped up everywhere for a while, but uh, you can still see it on YouTube. Yes, you can. 
All right, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back and discuss Deadmon. Deadmon. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back uh, right after this. The following message is a paid advertisement for the Cult of Muscle podcast. The Cult of Muscle. You're either in it or you're dead. It's the dawning of a new age. The halls of Valhalla have been shuttered. The heroes of yore have either retreated to the shadows or taken to capering for the amusement of the small folk. Their past glory is a distant memory. The barbells have been torn from their once puma-strong grips. The beards shone from their square jaws, only to be transplanted onto flannel-clad, puny weaklings with fingers barely powerful enough to strum a ukulele. The time has come, my brothers, to restore order from the chaos. No longer will our heroes be forgotten. No longer will their great deeds be viewed through a foggy lens of irony. Hear now our rallying cry as we scream it from the mountaintops, as we bellow it from iTunes and Libsyn and Facebook. It's time to join the cult, my brothers. So don your cloaks and enter the cult of muscle. All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay, so our second film of the day is Dead Man from 1995, which Will and I were talking well, actually, I think we might have been talking on the show, actually. Maybe not off the air. I can't even remember anymore. My life is so GGTMC, and GGTMC is so much my life. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, you know, films from 95 are considered classics pretty much now. I mean, you're talking, you know, 26 years old. <laughs> you know, we're talking classic status. You know, I think the 25 years old is the classic status for cars. So um, this movie is... Not new anymore. I, I I remember thinking when I rewatched this, I remember thinking, looking up the year, and I was like, wow, that was 95. It feels like it was like closer to 2000, but it was right in the middle of the 90s there. But this is Jim Jarmusch, one of our personal favorites, I would say. I think both uh, Large William and myself are big fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There we go. A little pomp and circumstance for Jimmy Jarmusch. Yeah. Uh, Get the harps out. One of the sons of Lee Marvin, as he likes to talk about sometimes in interviews and stuff he does look like Lee Marvin a little bit the um film from 1995 I'm gonna try to get this synopsis up here I'm kind of pontificating here and doing all kinds of stuff you want me to no I got it I got it I can do it on the run after murdering a man accountant William Blake encounters a strange North American man named nobody who prepares him for his journey into the spiritual world all right so first and foremost we talk about Jim Jarmusch movies this this one must have been a hard sell, too. Of course, he makes independent movies. We all know that. But here he is shooting a Western, black and white, 1995. Not exactly the, you know, the maybe, maybe not the the ebb of, or, you know, of the uh, the Western, but certainly not a time that's, I think, fondly remembered, except for maybe a few, like Unforgiven, things like that, the 90s. Tombstone. Yeah. There wasn't many. This was a very sort of a, a barren. There was a lot of tumbleweeds rolling around at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh. We said this is programmed by Anti, so yeah, yeah, we yeah. But uh, this one's got a cast too. Wow, talk about a cast! I mean, Jarmusch can really get cast anyway. Yep. This one's got an amazing cast. I'll just kind of run down the names here. We got Johnny Depp in the lead. We got Gary Farmer, who's pretty much underappreciated. Usually, sometimes a comedic actor and stuff, uh, but he's actually from Ontario. Uh, is he really? Oshweekin, 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 oh. Ontario, Canada. Man, uh, Native American actor, really, really good in this movie. Doesn't He's great get, in this film. Doesn't get his just due, but uh, really, really good in this movie. Been good in a couple other films, too. Crispin Glover's in here. 
Uh, a lot of great character faces. Lance Hendrickson, Michael Wincott, who I think also doesn't get his just due, is playing a heavy. He's really great. Uh, Eugene Bird slides in here. John Hurt, Bob Mitchell, Miggy Pop, you Stop. name it. Stop, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gabriel, Gabriel Burns in here. I mean, it just it just goes on and on and on. I mean, it's in some ways Jarmusch films, Billy Bob Thornton. In some ways, it's his films sometimes think, I think, um, for Molina, too. We should mention him and... He, I think his film sometimes, he, I, I think they, they, they seem like hangout sessions sometimes, right? Like, you know, everybody wants to get together and hang out with Jarmusch and his, and his crazy uh, group of uh, wacky movie-making pals. Uh, should I say also Gibby Haynes is in this movie as well, lead singer of the Butthole Surfers. It's going back to a lot of butthole talk this week. I didn't expect that on the show. First show back talk, after about... about butthole. <laughs> lots of bush, lots of fucking... The GTTMC is back. I really love uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character's name, the Big George Draculius. That's the yeah. name of his character. It's a great, great character name, Big George Draculius. Anyway, um, to kind of get back to the movie, because of all these character faces, what you get is you get a lot of vignettes. You get a lot of like Jarmish written scenes. Uh, Jared Harris, I should say as well. He's been Mott Trench. Tench, he's in the film as well. And Millie Avital, uh, she played the uh, she played the hooker that was uh, she's a gorgeous lady. Uh, she played the hooker Man. that was in uh, that was in the room there. So she's beautiful. Yeah, and we should say Michelle Thrush too, the one that plays nobody's girlfriend. She's gorgeous as well, in her oh, own yeah. way, Native American lady, very pretty. Beautiful. Uh, did you mention Iggy Pop? Yeah, I did. I think I did. Yeah, but Sa- it's funny to see Sally yeah. Jenko. <laughs> this is such a male. In both of our films this week are very much male dominated films. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You mentioned Mitchum and Hurt, I would imagine, as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, yeah, what a cast, right? Yeah. And this is sadly, sadly, Robert Mitchum, the great Robert Mitchum's last film. Yeah, yeah, and he's good in the movie. He's, uh, you know, he's playing he a very stoic, uh, heavy kind of bad guy, but he, um, he's perfectly fine. He's got a really interesting kind of like almost like a mullet going. He does have a kind of interesting uh, <laughs> hairstyle. There's some interesting hairstyles in this. You know, I, I, I had said this on Facebook a little bit, watching this movie this time was interesting. I had watched this movie before, and I liked it. I, di- I, didn't, I didn't dislike it, but I thought it kind of meandered a little too much, and, and Jarmus was a little full of himself. But as time's gone on, I kind of come to appreciate that with filmmakers, and, and it totally fits into Jarmus's filmography of the type of movies he makes. I mean, he he's very much interested in little character bits and he's very much interested in scenes and, and well-written scenes, I think. And he kind of puts them all together. Uh, narrative isn't always the, what interests him. I think, I think acting yep. and, and, you know, the cinematography is gorgeous in this movie. It doesn't, it looks great. It is. And it's full of, uh, pretty much any type of Western imagery you can think of. Uh, shot by Robbie Mueller, Mueller, Mueller. I, I don't, I think he's, uh, uh, I think he's, uh, <laughs> Excuse me, Scandinavian or something like I German. Remember. It's a German name. Yeah, yeah, Mueller, 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 Mueller. Maybe it's got an M. Uh, oh well, he was born in the Dutch Antilles, so but I think that's a German last name, though. It's, yeah, he shot a lot of Lars von Trier stuff. Yeah, he shot a lot. He shot a lot of stuff. He shot Honey. I mean, go all the way back to Willie Nelson movie, Honeysuckle Rose. He shot. He shot a ton of Our stuff. Fly. Fuck. Paris, Texas. Yeah. Man, this is this is a very accomplished. Um, so you deal. can see, yeah, yeah, you can see. I mean, even like stuff like Dancer in the Dark and stuff like uh, these shot with Lars and and even Ghost Dog. I mean, those movies are gorgeous. 
he worked as far back with Vendor, Vim Vendors as the goalie's anxiety at the penalty kick. Wow. Which is a very early Vim Vendors film. Um, yeah, oh man, this guy's, yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, Jarmish is a film lover as well as a filmmaker. So yes, yes. Show. It does show. It shows in the movie. Um, it's cast, yeah. Yeah, I like the way it opens with the kind of cold open of the train car and the way he's looking out at all the Western iconography as he's kind of traveling. He kind of falls in and out of sleep. He has different passengers, which is a great opportunity for Jarmish to put faces in there. You see the the uh, train engineer, uh, Christian uh, Clever, come in and what well, looks like blackface. But, of course, you know, back in those days you had to shovel coal, so you would be filthy. Yes. But it almost does look like blackface that he comes in, and he gives some really great poignant lines uh, and, yes. and delivers them in the way only Christian Crispin Glover can, right? Yep. <laughs> that very kind of odd tone he has for uh, delivering uh uh, dialogue the the movie is 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 kind of a play on on westerns at the same time being a western i, I think i appreciated that quite a bit obviously there's jarmish's sense of humor in here not, it's not a full-blown comedy because jarmish's sense of humor is his own thing uh he he definitely like a lot of filmmakers i think kind of stands alone with his kind of film like you know his humor is kind of like his humor is a little different than the Coen Brothers' humor, which is a little different than like Todd Solondz's humor, which is a little different than like I don't know, you know, you know, but you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, these guys have yeah. their own sense of humor that is unique, and they're lucky to be able to make movies. Uh, those names I mentioned, Coen Brothers, probably being the most successful, but they're lucky to be able to make movies because their sense of humor is off center. That's and, right, and it's not it's not what the the general populace really wants to see. The general populace, you know, still. We're still, I think the general populace still likes the tagline or likes the uh, the punchline. Still likes the the Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know. Don't bother my friend; he's dead tired. You know, I think they still like yes. the uh, <laughs> the punchline humor, and because you see the superhero movies, there's a lot of that still. But I, I, I kind of, like I said, I've kind of come to appreciate Jarmusch's sense of humor. The older I've gotten, it's very deadpan. It's very unique. He's very deadpan in a lot of ways in interviews and stuff, and it really kind of carries through. One of the things that I really didn't like about the movie, and this is weird now, but I do, I do like it now. I didn't like it that much then, and I don't know what it was. I'm a big guitar fan. The Neil uh, Young score. Yeah, yeah. I love, the, I love the guitar. And, uh, I mean, obviously that's why most of the music I listen to is mostly guitar-based because it's my favorite instrument. I love to play the guitar, and I love the guitar. So um, anything with guitar in it I typically love in some way, shape, or fashion. You know, some people like the bass guitar more some people like the drums you know whatever but the guitar is my thing and you would think that i would love the score because it's very western influence and stuff but i didn't the first time but this time around i really appreciated it and i think what it was it was it was the distortion at first i think the distortion threw me off a little bit it felt a little too uh indie darling in 1995 for me sure and kind of threw me off a little bit but you know hindsight is 2020 the nineties were the mid nineties were indie darling. And it kind of fits in and it fits well with the movie and it kind of fits in with what was going on at the time. It works. I mean it really works and I really liked it this time. Yep. Quite a bit. And it really kinda amplified the movie for me. That and the kind of I guess because I'm getting older, I had mentioned this that the film had a different effect on me than it did when I was younger. The kind of knowing that you're gonna pass type of uh, mentality of the overall theme of the movie so in the movie johnny depp's character it's not a spoiler johnny depp's character gets shot uh accidentally 
Uh, he's sleeping with a hooker. She gets shot. I won't say by who. Uh, he shoots the guy. The guy accidentally shoots him. So the rest of the movie is essentially this kind of fever dream for Depp's character, William Blake, who Gary Farmer's character thinks is the famous poet. <laughs> yes. And and uh, and it's kind of a fever dream for him. There's a lot of scenes with him kind of going in and out of sleep and seeing things. And, you kind of uh, fade to black. I yeah. mean, and that stuff works really well in that episodic kind of feverish that you kind of go in and out of a fever dream, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if you've ever been really sick, you have moments where, like I remember having mono at one point, and I remember waking up and I'd see things, and I remember going back to sleep thinking, did I see what I think I saw? <laughs> uh, you know, you, you you imagine things, but you actually do see things as well. Like I'd see my mom cleaning, but, you know, I, I, like the room I was sleeping in, uh, when I had mono, I was a teenager, so... I, I didn't catch it from cockfighting, but the uh, the uh, I remember waking up seeing her cleaning the room, but I remember also thinking, you know, she's looking at me. Why she keeps staring at me? Well, she wasn't. She was just checking on me. But I remember thinking that she was staring at me, like you know, I'm dying. <laughs> you know, of course, I felt like I was dying at the time. If you've ever had mono, you do feel like you're dying sometimes. But. Oh, yeah. I remember uh, thinking that. And I think that he does it really well. He does these little fades to black, and he'll come back in. Gary Farmer's wearing his spectacles, his glasses. Or he'll fade to black and come back in. And there's these other little moments that are going, I don't want to give away because there's a lot of fun little things that kind of come up. Um, black and white cinematography always works for me. I don't know if it's the classicist of me that loves old movies, but it does look really nice. Even the online version of this, you can watch this on Vimeo, is in HD, and it looks really nice. Um, not that that's the way you would want to watch it, but if you want to, you can tune in right now and watch it. It's on there. I don't know if it's legal or not, but it's on there. Again, I want to go back and say that I think Gary Farmer, he, he, he is really good. Now he's, he's been in a lot of movies. You've seen Gary Farmer. Most of you who listen to this have seen Gary Farmer in something. Yep. Um, he's a character actor. Uh, he's, he's got 105 credits. He's been in a ton of shit, a ton of TV, ton of movies. Um, Native American. Um, great face, very kind of cherubic and very kind of jovial. Got a great, great face for comedy. You know, he can react and very little. He does has to do very little, and he can uh, get a laugh, I think. But in this movie, he, his character is very poignant in the way that, the, you know, the wise Native American is, but not in a cliche way, I would say. You know, not in the cliche wise Native American way that, you know, you see, I think... He, it's his his comments are just vague enough that they almost come off as jarmish comedy, right? Yeah, they do, and there's sort of a an awareness of absurdity. There's some. I think this is kind of this. It this deconstructs and demystifies the genre in a way that someone who loves the genre would, mm-hmm. without disparaging it, um, yep. but but still being part of the genre, very much like a left field kind of western. And I love. Like you said, I think that yeah, nobody does a good job as the the wise sort of native character without it being cliche or insulting. Yeah, yeah I mean it's it's a it's a movie cliche. I mean it just is. It, it, it has is. been for years. Well, for sure, for sure. There's even you know that documentary about it, but um, but just there's so many little touches that Farmer brings to the like how I think it's very endearing. I think he's, he's such a warm, likable presence in the film. Um, like when he, uh, he he has a knack for calling Depp's character by his full name, so he'll say, "What are you doing, William Blake?" Yeah, he calls him his full name, and yeah. just I don't know, it works I lo- well. I love the way he says tobacco. Yes, that's really? which is the running joke in the film. Yeah, it's a running joke in the you film. Have any tobacco? Yeah, let me ask you this, William Blake: Do you have any tobacco? 
Yes. <laughs> and Johnny Depp's always like, look, no, I told you I don't smoke. Yes. <laughs> That's right. I think if I had any pet peeves about the movie this time around, it was that Depp, you know, again, I understand, but he shows up looking like his character from Benny and June a little bit. And <laughs> it is, it is <laughs> the it, hair and the yeah, hat. Yeah, the hair and the hat. It is Johnny Depp. I mean, you know, I know he's an eccentric to quite a bit. He's taken some bad rep, uh, press lately, uh, as all actors or stars or celebrities do at some point you know they're they they we eventually find out they have a drinking problem or they have a uh an anger problem or something or something and uh you know depp's taking his fair share of pals and powwows lately but um and you know of course he became a really big movie star i don't think anybody expected that um uh, i always thought he was a really good actor i still think he's a really good actor i just think that you know obviously now he doesn't really have to do much anymore uh, he can just show up and be johnny depp now and he really, you know, he's become that big of an actor. Uh, I think he's going to have to work at it a little bit to get some of his, uh, uh, well, I guess we'll see how the new Pirates movie does uh, when it comes out. But uh, I think he's going to have to work a little bit to kind of get some of his fan base back that thought saw him as this, uh, you know, kind of perfect gentleman because he's always kind of been very reserved and and stuff. But, I mean, you know, this is, this, you know, it is what it is, whatever. I'm not going to get into all that. That's stuff we don't talk about on the show. Um but yeah, personally watching this time, I, I, I just got a lot more out of it. And it, maybe it was the, the, the Native American speak, or maybe it was, for me, I think it was exactly what I said, though. I think it's, you know, that process of passing away, the kind of looking back on your life, the kind of thinking about what you did right, what you did wrong. Um, you know, not everybody passes away suddenly. Some people pass away in, in long, slow, agonizing ways, or even long, slow peaceful ways i mean there's there's all kinds of ways to pass away right so i think it's an interesting look at at the process of passing away as told through the mind of like jim jarmusch like maybe he was going through something when he made this movie or maybe he just wanted to make a western and dead man was a great title and maybe he just kind of came up with it but either way i kind of feel like for me the the conversations people have and everything all of it kind of caters on what could have been or what should have been and I like all that stuff quite a bit. I like the scene. I really like the scene with Billy Bob Thornton and Iggy Pop and uh, Jared Harris. It's really good. It's funny, but it's kind of intimidating and scary. Uh, again, Billy Bob Thornton, an actor who doesn't get enough credit. I know he is what he is now, but there was a time when he was just great. I think he's also an actor of tremendous skill. Yeah, he really is. I mean, there's a moment in this where he gets shot in the foot that I think is one of the funniest fucking things. That I've seen in any movie because the way he reacts is so fucking stupid. <laughs> well, there's, there's, a, I think one of the things I really love about how it kind of deconstructs or demystifies the genre is there's the moments where these kind of campfire tales are told in hushed tones about how he, his character murdered his parents. Yeah. Or no, that, that's Henriksen. That's Henriksen. That's Henriksen. Yeah. He ate but, <laughs> but how the bad men of the film, the bad guys, these really scary men, are just buffoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. almost like um, like those like wolves you see in like the Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah, <laughs> just idiots. Yeah. Or like the hyenas in the Lion King or something. Yeah, they're like that, really. It, like behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah, they're like total buffoons. But you know, they yeah. live on their reputation, right? Like yeah, their reputation. Exactly. And uh, you know, he killed his parents. Henderson's character killed his parents and ate them. Yes. Uh, Michael Wincott's character is uh, evidently killed like a ton of people. I can't. They, they say something about him in there about how he's killed a ton of people. 
great voice. Michael Wincott's got a great voice. It's a voice I can't even impersonate. It's so deep and it is growling. great. It's, he's almost like uh, he's very Henriksen esque in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. As he didn't work more. It feels like the '90s were kind of his yeah high watermark. I he think didn't really work more. Yeah, I think he. I think he got ill or something. I think something happened to Michael Wincott. Uh, I didn't look it up. He's actually from Toronto as well. Because him and, and uh, Jeff Wincott, I think, is from Toronto as well. So they're yeah. Toronto boys. Um, I'm looking to see here if, if there's something in the trivia about it. But he was really on a tear for a while, and then he just kind of went away. It's too bad because, yeah, he was great as a heavy head and intensity. He was very, like I was saying, very Henriksen-esque. Yeah. And he does, he does, he is pretty selective about stuff he picks because I do know that he's turned down quite a bit of stuff over the years. Um, because people like him so much. Um, uh, kind of his look, you know, he's got a great, very angular face. And then he, of course, he's got that great voice, right? So, uh, I can't see anything in here. I, I guess I could Google it, but I'll look at it when you get to talking to your side of it. But anyway, he, he is really good in the movie as well. Oh, he was supposed to be in Bone Tomahawk, but he turned that down. Which would have been oh, great. He'd have been great in that. Yeah. But yeah, that's something happened. I, I can't remember what it was, but something happened. Something came up. But anyway, I remember reading about it kind of half-assed one time in a magazine or a book or something. If 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 the films we watch do come down to scenes, though, and this is where I was kind of going with that Billy Bob Thornton, Iggy Pop, and uh, Jared Harris scene when uh, Giant Depp comes into it, these kind of montages and these kind of scenes. I think about Jarmusch, and if, if movies that we watch kind of come down to scenes sometimes, um, this movie has some of the best. There's that scene. There's the great scene where he interrupts nobody and his girlfriend, uh, or she calls him something. Uh, there's the great scene of the three killers at the uh, the watering hole. Um, the three killer scenes in particular, Hendrickson, Wincott, and uh, Eugene Bird, they could have had their own movie. They could have. Uh, they were that entertaining. Eugene Bird's kind of this kind of aggressive, kind of hyperactive, younger kind of killer. Wincott seems like he's kind of in and out of the game, like he's tired of doing it, but he still keeps doing it because it's all he's good at. And then, of course, Hendrickson's character is just insane. <laughs> he just looks like he's angry all the time. <laughs> and Lance Hendrickson's got the greatest face when it comes to looking like he's just pissed <laughs> off all the time. You know, He's just so perfect for that. And Henriksen, we should say, too, I think with everyone in this film, to do Parsi to directing, also great casting, also the talent is, Henriksen's got great comedic timing in this. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. He's fit. Everyone does. Mm-hmm. They do. Lance Henriksen, he's, 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 he's really good in the movie. I mean, it's, I don't think he's talked about enough in the movie. I think this movie got sold on the Johnny Depp so much. Especially because he really hit a few years after, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that people forget that, you know, this movie's full of just kind of great actors and character bits and all that kind of stuff, so... I really hope that uh, um, people kind of go back and look at it because I think it's neat and interesting that Antti picked this film because I think it was overlooked originally. And I think now here we are 26 years on, 25 years on, whatever it is, and this is getting to be an interesting time for us as film lovers because we grew up in the 90s, right, to kind of go back and look at those films of the 90s Um because we always kind of say jokingly, like the '90s were a bad era for fashion, or the '90s were a bad era for this, or the '90s were a bad era for that. But as is always the case, time changes your perspective on everything, maturity and and everything. And I think going back and looking at the films of the '90s, um, which I think we'll do a lot more, obviously going forward, because films are you know getting older, everything's getting older. Yeah. But there is a very there's there was, the '90s were a very strong decade for movies. I don't think I mean. 
I don't think we we realize that sometimes that how how strong a decade they were. There is a lot of gems in the nineties. I think much like with, um, I mean, the seventies known as a, as a golden era, but I think we had to get. I don't think it was it wasn't known as that in the eighties though. Well, that's what I'm saying is yeah. I think that we have to get you know a generation away from it until mm-hmm. critical thinkers and academia can start looking at it with a a fresh set of eyes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. versus yeah. sort of the uh, specter of uh, financial failure, maybe that, that or, or controversy that plagued some films and look yeah. at them simply on the merits of the film as with its artistic merit. Yep. Right. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the only thing if I had, like I said, if I had any issues with the movie and I, and I like, I really do like it. I really liked it a lot this time. I think it's a very romantic. Look at the Western, a very nice kind of soft comedic look at the Western. I, I uh, outside of Depp's suit, which I'm just I'm just kind of half-assing that it's fine in the movie. I mean, they even comment on his suit. So I can, how silly it is! There he is, the the, uh, the uh, sleep fighter. Even if I had any issues with that, I don't. But I do think the movie is a little overlong. I think it does kind of hang around a little too long, and that does hurt it for me. Um, I think the meandering kind of tone of the movie kind of hurts it and kind of becomes its own detriment in some ways. And I really wish it would, it'd be a little bit more tight, especially toward the back end. But again, I love all that fever dreamerish stuff. Uh, I, I, I dreamerish. I don't even know if that's a word. It's charmerish, dreamerish, but uh, it, it, it was really, really interesting to go back and look at this now. And I don't know if, if auntie, if, if, if this was, his way of saying, hey, you know, this film needs to revisit because I think it's more important than you think it is. Or maybe it's just an age thing. don't know his age exactly. But this film, like I said, didn't really hit me the first time. I liked it. But going back and watching it as a 43-year-old man, it meant a lot more to me. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I quite enjoyed it. was really impressed. Sorry about that. I had to... No problem. <laughs> yeah. Sleep Sorry. fighter, man. What's that? Sleep fighters. Sleep fighters. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, (laughs) Trust me, you're going to want that now. All right, so those were all your notes? That's all my notes, Ben. I don't have much, um, but, I mean, I have lots, but in the interest of Don't have much, but I know I love you. We're both hitting the Neville there, man. Neither one of us wanted to be the Ronstadt. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, well, we've done a few Jarmishes, and yeah, Jarmish is one of my Jarmish was one of these filmmakers that I. This was my first Jarmish. I saw it maybe '98 VHS blockbuster. Um, hadn't seen it in its entirety since. Um, Jarmish is one of, these, one of these guys that, over the past ten years or so, I've come to realize he's one of my favorite American filmmakers of this generation. No. I still, I still, as I've said before, I still love his later output. Like uh, the limits of control is is really underappreciated for me. It's like his Le Samurai, as I've said many times. I love it. Um, Only Lovers Left Alive is great. Yeah, um, he's still making great 30, stuff. Man. That was in my top thirty. Uh, was it a year ago? Two years ago? Something like that. Yeah, it's a fantastic film, and I think um, you know, much like the Coens, you know, he gets great faces and really gives character actors a chance to stretch their legs on screen, mm-hmm. right, which is nice. Um, I wonder if the the sort of train scene with the silence over the first 10 minutes is kind of a nod to Once Upon a Time in the West, a little differently orchestrated, but 
if it's kind of a subtle nod to that and um, great landscapes in this film, which, you know, isn't imperative for a Western, but yeah. he, he does. You know, I think you can't make, you can't make a Western really without subtle nods to Leone and Ford, right? I mean, it's almost impossible. It's kind of, yeah, they're in the, the DNA of the genre. Yeah. Um, get that Joe Yannick hero, the Cleveland bred uh, <laughs> William Blake. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if he's got a suit like that, Yannick. <laughs> yeah, he does, man. Uh, or but Keith Allison does. <laughs> <laughs> for real, Keith Allison for that Benny and June remake, that reboot. Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know what. I don't know what Keith's hat game is like. He usually likes to keep that that quaff impeccable. So maybe yeah. there's no. Yeah, not, not, yeah, he doesn't rock the hat very often. You're right. It's more Higgins flex than anything. Yeah, I mean that guy. That guy rocks a variety. That guy's got, you know, that guy's <laughs> portfolio's diversified. Um, but, yeah, the Neil Young score is great. I know it caught a lot of shit early on. Um, but, it's again, time has come to look at it very favorably. Um, yeah, the absurdity that runs through the film is great. It's it's really, it works well. Um, there's a, And I, one of the things I like about the film is, and I have to say, I think that now looking at this again, I don't know if I'd said this when I spoke about this film at the time, but Slow West feels heavily indebted to this film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought about that, actually, yeah. I mean, it really does. In terms of the intimacy, the kind of uh, fireside, sort of one-on-one or two-on-two encounters that happen in the film, mm-hmm. it's very isolated. And, well, yeah. kind of, well, the kind of the great thing about the Western genre, I think people forget sometimes, is the Western genre is really a great genre for... You know, we talk about fireside chats. It's kind of a joke. But, I mean, you think about it. You can get some great scenes and conversation around a fireside at night, especially in a macho kind of manly genre like the Western genre. You can really get some really great conversations going. Oh, you can. Uh, They really kind of pique the interest, especially of male filmgoers. I'm not saying it doesn't pique the interest of female filmgoers as well. But, you know, I, I, I love watching people chat over a fire. Uh, in a Western, um, I'll take that over. Well, I mean, I won't take it over dinner scenes because Scorsese shoots great dinner scenes, and I've seen a lot of great dinner scenes in my life. But it kind of goes back to that, though. I mean, dinner and meals are a great time to sit down and chat. Without the distractions of a car chase or... Yeah, or, t- or, yeah, or TV or you know, somebody running with a gun or any of that kind of stuff that's in movies. It just, you know, I, I think that... As I get older, I more and more appreciate that. I think it's what I liked about Bone Tomahawk the most was, that, you know, as much as it's kind of blew me away in the back end because it turned into a movie I didn't think it was. Uh, I knew what it was, but I didn't expect to see what I saw. Um, those, those fireside chats in the movie are really great. They would make the film for me, too. And I feel like some people thought that film was too slow to get where it needed to go. But I, I think that's the biggest strength of the film mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for me. Yep. Uh, and it makes the back end that much more intense. Yep. Um you might, you mentioned the, the Mitchum hair, and I, one of my notes is Dat Mitchum, Maine. It's pretty incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah. Beautiful kind of tender scene with the, uh, the prostitute. And I love that the, there's a shootout there, and we'll call it that for, you know, for lack of a better description, because it's very awkward and clumsy and messy and kind of quietly horrible, which I think makes sense, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Like, yeah. you know, it doesn't always need to be, you know, John Woo. I mean, no, not to disparage Woo, because I love his stuff, but... There's a time and a place for this, too. Sure, sure. Uh, if I'm in the mood for woo and that type of violence and that type of choreography, then I'm in that mood. And nothing. But, but the thing about violence and, and movies and stuff, sometimes it works best when it's 
Well, when it's quick. Quick, clumsy, unexpected. Um, I don't want to forget to mention, I think the production design of this is, is first rate. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is. from the lodge at the back end, which is Mueller shoots tremendously, to the, the prostitute's bedroom with all the paper roses. Yeah, I wonder I wonder how much money they had to make this movie, because it looks pretty expensive, really. It looks, it's beautiful without looking um, kind of cheap and excessive. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's impressive whatever amount of money they stretched on the dollar here. What else this kind of reminds me of? What's his name? Is it Anthony? I can't remember. This is, you know, it's still kind of early here. Is it uh, Cox? Uh, Anthony Cox. Um, the filmmaker that made Straight to Hell. Oh, do you know uh, that uh, the Wincots were born in Scarborough? Yeah, that's my borough, man. That's where I'm from. Yeah. Scarborough. Yeah. I always, always forget Same that. And then when I look it up, I always think to myself, hey, man. <laughs> Same with Rowdy Roddy Piper, Jim Carrey, Mike Myers. Yeah, there's a, quite a few popular people from the Scarborough area. Oh, man. Um, what just saying? Oh, what's his name? Cox, uh, the filmmaker. He British filmmaker. Spaghetti Western enthusiast. Oh, Alex Cox. Alex Cox. I said Anthony Cox. It's kind of a little bit straight to hell. I mean, it's not a sneering kind of punk rocky, but I don't know. It kind of operates in its own world that way. This uh, um, production design, Bob Zimbecki, who did Boogie Nights. Oh, there you go. I mean, just really good production design. Yeah. Uh, Did Boogie Nights right after this, as a matter of fact. Oh, you guys in a roll. Um, there's some great foreground, background stuff Mueller does in the film. And, you know, I could keep going on and on. Uh, hey, it's gorgeous. You know, it's kind of what I said toward the back end. I, I think this film is kind of, po- as a 43-year-old man, it's poetic. As a you know, a 23-year-old man or however old I was when I saw it the first time, I thought it was just kind of a, a you know, kind Precious, of... Precious. Uh, yeah, kind of a bit of a show-off piece. Like, let me let me show you what I can do with a Western. Yeah, but it's not that. I think it's, yeah, definitely a lot more than that. And the great dialogue, like you said, even, like, the line that... It's such a kind of badass when uh, line when nobody says to Blake, he says, that weapon will replace your tongue. You will learn to speak through it. And, oh, yeah, yeah. That that that's that, $9 million is what this movie cost. It's crazy. It looks so good. Uh, even like the, the scene with the birch trees, all the white birch trees. That looks great when they're, they're going through there. Yeah, yeah. They look man. There's, I said there's a, a graphic sex scene in this. Is there a graphic sex scene? I don't remember a graphic sex scene. So, I don't think so. But it's rated R for violence, a graphic sex scene, and some language. Oh, 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 the blowjob in the, blow the alley. Oh, yeah. That's Gibby Haynes. That's the butthole surfer lead singer getting a blowjob in the alley. <laughs> we all. Um... Mm-hmm. That's yeah. sometimes it's better to uh, receive than give, I think. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, from out of perspective. I wouldn't think that that's really that graphic, but then I remember that the hooker's head is really going back and forth. At a <laughs> vigorous. Yeah, it's very vigorous. It's a, an intense uh, blowjob, so that, that would be graphic. <laughs> that's right, man. She's fighting that cock. <laughs> the worn um, yeah. <laughs> She's rolling her own cigarettes tonight. Um <laughs> Uh, I think the black and white photography too makes the the landscape and the, the land itself seem more alien and unfamiliar, mm-hmm. which works well. Um, one more thing: the two bald hitmen with the I think the tan lines on their head. Oh yeah, their names are Marvin and Lee. Yeah, yeah. Nice to touch. Uh, the great line: "White legs, brown ass." Reminds me of Forehound. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, how about the first? Coat in this. I wonder if the, I think I, who is the, where's that fur coat? I can't remember if it was Mitchum, but it reminds me of McCabe and Mrs. Miller. There, a couple people do. Uh, uh, Depp's wearing one as well. Uh, yeah, 
But yeah. Mitchum's wearing one, and uh, I think there's another character that wears one at some point. So this is a time when people wore fur for survival as opposed to – I mean, I think it still was a luxury, but I think people wore yeah. more fur for survival, right? Fur, you're loving it. Um, didn't kill, we a, didn't kill uh, chinchillas for fur coats back then, I don't think. No, not a bear. Uh, how about uh, the, the Gaspar Noé-approved squish, which was kind of an unexpected thing I'd forgotten about? Yeah. 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 Unreal. Um, I don't have a whole lot more to say because I, I mean I could, but I love the village arrival at the back end and um, just that really gets feverish at that point and and uh, you feel the cold without it being kind of cartoonish at that moment. Mm-hmm. The film's on its back legs and uh, really good stuff, man. Really good stuff. It's interesting on the IMDb. Somebody's you know this is obviously a public site IMDb, so people put in references. And the way this film is referenced to other films. And Jarmusch, I won't, I won't say what it's referenced, but you can kind of look through there and see. But Jarmusch is also known as a pop filmmaker. He, he's kind of known as, you know, like Quentin Tarantino, he's kind of known as that. A filmmaker who kind of grew up on film and loves movies, and his movies are kind of inspired by movies, right? So, Oh, wow, the Ivan's Childhood pull. Nice pull, man. Yeah, the Ivan's Childhood is a really good pull. And wow. then, uh, obviously, the My Name is Nobody, which I didn't bring up, but uh, that obviously is there. Cannibal Holocaust went a bit of a reach, no pun intended, but hey, it could be. It could be. Yeah. And uh, some of these other ones, I can see oh, moments. Yeah, I can see moments. But it is interesting that, uh, that uh, you know, because Jarmusch, again, he is a student of film, you know, and, and filmmakers that, you know, from this point forward, most filmmakers are going to be filmmakers who are in, learn, move, you know, the, I think Scorsese in that, that generation was the first generation that was kind of really kind of inspired by other filmmakers mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of uh, multiplied because of the accessibility of movies now yes um, it's multiplied uh, completely because you know Scorsese and they had to go to the movies and Jarmusch even had to go to the movies and so did Tarantino but the generation after didn't have to you know you go rent it or you just you know the next generation is going to be like oh yeah I saw that on YouTube or downloaded it or yeah on my phone yeah I <laughs> watched it on my phone one night was- yeah, that's right, man. So that's a whole new generation is going to be doing that. All right, so that's all your notes? Yes. All right. Uh, okay, so my make or break, uh, again, I don't think I, it's too much of a secret. I kind of gave it away when I was talking about it, but the scene with Iggy Pop and Thornton and Jared Harris and when they're making the beans and stuff, oh, damn, Sal, you sure do make a great plate of beans. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fucking Billy Bob Thornton, man. Um, yeah, this is the chubbier Billy Bob, too, back before he – Started starving himself to death. I don't know what's up with him. He's living on cigarettes and coffee. On buds of vile. <laughs> vials of blood. Buds of vile, yeah. <laughs> still early, forgive us, yeah. We haven't done this in a long time. <laughs> That's right, we still make a good plate of beans. Though. <laughs> yeah, we do make a good plate of beans. <laughs> um, my MVT for this movie, I'm going to go with Gary Farmer. Uh, Jarmusch is really, you know, it's his movie and it's really great. And there's so many great actors in the film. But I think Gary Farmer, obviously, he doesn't get a lot of credit. He's a great character actor. Like I said, you've seen him in something. He's done a lot of horror movies. He's done a lot of TV. You've seen him in something, I promise you. Um, but he, he is really, really good in this movie. And, and, and the way that few performers are, and that way that he can do both comedy and heavy drama, and he does all that in one film, it's, it's pretty impressive. And it's, it's not stereotypical. He's playing the stereotypical character, but he does it in his own way. And I think it's a, I think it's a special performance. I really do. And I, I was really really touched by his character. 
um, this time around. Really, me too, man. That really got to me. Um, my score for the film is an eight out of ten, like straight eight. I mean, I think it's again, like I said toward the end of my review, if I had one issue with the movie, it's that it's a little too long. Uh, I just think it kind of it, it eventually starts to feel like it just keeps hanging around. And I think he's going for that. I think he's going for the closer you get to death, the more you close your eyes, the more you wake up, the more you close your eyes, the more you wake up. But I don't know. After a while, I still still feel if there's any disconnection I have with it. I start to disconnect when I'm starting to think, okay, let's get to the let's get to the end game here. But that's not a complaint. I still think an eight out of ten solid score. I think it's a great movie. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to say make or break the scene with the. Man, there's so many. I'm going to say the scene with the prostitute. That's when I really. Um, yeah, it's a good one. The tender scene and it ends very messily and kind of awful and. You know, uh, I really like that. Um, I think it showed me the West that, that Jarmusch was inhabiting or yeah. wanting us to inhabit. And Byrne plays a great heartbreak in that scene, too. Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, big time, man. That kind big of time. tough guy heartbreak that you get. I mean, he, he yeah. really plays it well. Yeah, he does. He does. Um, MVT, man, I could go so many ways with this. The Neil Young score. The cinematography, the set design, the cast, Jarmish. I'm going to go with, um, I think, uh, I'm going to go with Gary Farmer as well, man. I really love Gary Farmer in this. I think he's amazing. And I don't know, as you know, sometimes it's logic for us. I don't know when I'm going to get to give it to Gary Farmer again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that really is. That, that logic really comes into play with him because I really just don't know if, if he'll ever have an opportunity again. But his performance in this movie should be celebrated, yeah. It should be tremendous. Went to Ryerson, Toronto School. I mean, uh, uh, Oswegan is near Brantford, which is, uh, for Canadians, everyone knows Brantford's the hometown of the great one, number 99, Wayne Gretzky. So. Oh, nice. Nice. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, nice. So, Interesting. Uh, that, that's on your um, citizenship test. Nice. Sweet. You got to get that dual citizenship set up. Yeah, for real, man. <laughs> Stay with us for a while. Until you get on your feet. <laughs> um, We're not that show as much as we'd love to. Yeah. Grumble on yeah. that. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was a little, yeah, I don't, I'm glad you caught that. A lot of people probably wouldn't catch that. That was a, that was a little, <laughs> little jab from Sammy there. Yeah, a little grab. Yeah, I really don't say much uh, typically, but that was a little, little jab. I have my opinions as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Uh, my score is an eight point five, man. I, nice, I'm, nice, nice. And generous, Jerry, generous today, but um, not good. I mean, I can totally go that way with this movie. I could totally see that. I think this is a tremendous film. Um, I'd love to see a Criterion of this, frankly. Yeah, Criterion likes Jarmish, right? I think they yeah. put something. They put out like. Um, I'm kind of surprised it doesn't really have a special edition. I mean, the movie tanked pretty hard when it came out. It's, it's a shame. This is a. This is a fantastic film and it, there's nothing there's no glaring holes with this film for me no no like like i said no. even even my problems with it are not a glaring hole but um no. it, it's it's back it's, to the <laughs> yeah. that glaring hole yeah Ooh, that winker you don't want that glaring at you <laughs> you don't want that you, you do not want it to look like the sarlacc pit if it does you, do, you got to start reconsidering where you're at in life yeah you got to buy that person some preparation h <laughs> yeah Ooh, maybe yeah. a maybe a little pillow to sit on Ooh. yeah oh. oh speaking of horror hound anyway <laughs> 
All right, so next week we don't exactly know what we're doing. We're, we think we know what we're doing, but we're we're just taking it one week at a time. <laughs> again, I want to apologize. I mean, we've we've been great about keeping our. I, again, I have nothing. We have nothing to apologize for. But I, I do want to apologize to our listeners who kind of look forward to us week to week. We'll get back to that. We, I'm not. I'm not in any doubt that we'll get back to that. We enjoy doing it too much. It's just, you know, things happen. So, everything gets easier with time. I hope. <laughs> yes. Yes, ain't that the truth? Or maybe, um, or maybe like most adults, I'm just telling myself that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's you know, we're gonna try. All we can do is try. Um, yeah, that's all we can do. Bear in mind for everyone that next week we are going to try. <laughs> To put out a top thirty first time watches show with uh, Todd and uh, new contributor, new contributor to the blog, but long time, um, no long time gent. He's been on the show before. Our good friend with the uh, the uh, interesting name Fenord. Yes, our dude Fenord. So yeah, looking forward to that. Also a fellow Fenord to that fellow Kentucky boy. That's right, man. No. That's right. It's a very popular name in Kentucky. It is. <laughs> a big Norwegian sect here. <laughs> big uh, Scandinavian type. <laughs> There's no Scandinavian right. people in Kentucky. <laughs> Native American, African American, and uh, Caucasian. That would be your, and Mexican. That would be your four biggest. There you go, man. That's your Kentucky, that's your Kentucky heritage. All right. So, yeah, it was good to be back. Will, it was good to talk to you again. We don't, yeah, we don't so speak good. as much uh, as we used to off the phone, the phones because just to get a little Yeah. My schedule's totally different than Will's, and uh, I'm usually asleep by the time this guy's getting going nowadays because I got to be at work at the crack of, speaking of like cock walking, of yeah, crack of, I mean, crack of dawn, crack of, I don't know what the fuck it is. Hell, even the even restaurants aren't open for breakfast when I go to work. They're like, what the fuck's wrong with you, man? Come on, even the roosters are like, dude, hit snooze a few <laughs> yeah, more times. Yeah, and boy, have I. I've done that more than a few times. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back, and we'll keep rolling, man. We'll just keep rocking and rolling. And, uh, again, thanks, everybody, for the nice messages while I was out. Uh, we hope you uh, have a good year this year with the GGTMC because we plan on having a good one ourselves. Yep. Take your shirts off. Listen to the episode. Enjoy. You know, I was thinking about that Time Mac thing. I was going to say something at the time. But, you know, I was thinking at the time when we approached him, he may not have understood the love of Last Dragon that it has now. And what a podcast was. Yeah. that was like seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. pretty nice. I was, I, was, I was glad that in my eyes and in my heart, he had redeemed himself. That's good. It was good. great with the kids, so it's good because I had I kind of prepped him. I said, "Hey, you know, like you might be charging for this and that, and that's that's how he makes his money. That's how he pays for his house." And yeah, I mean that's that's the know, way of the world now, right? So, but uh, we'll have to reach out, man. Reach that might out. be another. He's got a book out, and there's some pretty cool stories in the book about him dating Lisa Bonet and living in Italy, and I think his family are friends with David Bowie's. There's some cool stuff in there. Oh, nice. He's nice. on a book tour, so. Probably check that out at Amazon or go to the just Google Timeock and go to his website. It, it seemed I should have picked up a copy of the book and got it signed. I kind of kicked myself for not doing that at the time, but we'll yeah, see. yeah. Well, if I've if I've learned anything from meeting celebrities, I've kicked myself a lot from either things I've said or <laughs> things I didn't purchase at the time. Luckily with the Pam Greer thing, I bought her book and got her signature and got that that Pam Greer hug. Yeah, she's a squeezer too, man. Just a heads up. Okay, let's move right there, man. Yeah, that was. Well, she smelled good anyway. <laughs> All right. With that, I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.
Thank you.